Talk Recorded live. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in an untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19, 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now.
afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. I'm here with my co-host, Alfred Addis, to bring you our opinion and commentary on today's economic and political events. And today we're going to have Greg Hunter joining us from the USAWatchdog.com and Wendy Wilson, who is normally scheduled here for this uh, segment, will be joining me on Thursday, so tomorrow. So make sure you tune in, and uh, she'll be here prior to the James Corbett uh, segment. So uh, thank you for joining us today. Good afternoon, Al. Well, Melody. Hey, we'll get started right away. Uh, Greg Hunter will be joining us about uh, 10 minutes after the hour, and we'll take a peek at the markets here. We have gold. Uh, had a little bit of reversal, bounced off the low of the day of 11.96. Currently on the New York spot price, 12.0350. 12.0350 down 5.20. You have silver down 33 at 16.60. Platinum is down six at 11.70, and palladium is down almost two percent, down 15 at 758. You have the USDX today trading higher, 0.08 at 98.00 crude oil took a bath today down three points at 50.94 50.94 and i believe that is still over the bath level i think so so big hit in oil today um I'm really not sure why it was up as high as it was. The only problem that was going on that could have disrupted a little bit of the, the flow of oil is what's happening in Yemen. Uh, it's still a strategic place. A lot of oil goes through that one port of Aden, and uh, I, I have I've heard um, that uh, those rebels have uh, taken over some more parts of that, so I'm not quite sure why oil is down, but maybe it was just a heavy trading day in oil. Who knows? When markets are rigged, it's hard anymore to, to determine if there's any one factor that moves a market in any direction other than we know it's not uh, the reality of any given market, as we have seen uh, the way they manipulate the gold and silver prices. Dow is up 27 points today at 17,902. You have the NASDAQ up 40, 49.50, and the S&P up 5 at 2,081, 10-year yields. One night, one point nine zero percent euro, one oh eight, and um, I guess there is absolutely no more. We're heading into the greed area. We're still neutral at fifty two, and again, it's just you know what makes it go from fear to neutral to people being greedy in such a short period of time. <laughs> you know, it's really kind of silly to watch that. Uh, index to see what emotion is driving the market, but then on the other hand, it kind of, you know, it just confirms there's so little reality in these markets. You know, it's hard to, it's it's such a difficult thing to look at because the markets do things, it's not news, but they do things for inexplicable reasons. Sometimes they suddenly, panics, for example, are a classic example People suddenly sell, 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 and there's no sense to it. People just panic. It becomes emotional. And there might have been some sense that initiates a move to sell, but it catches fire in a peculiar way, and people start acting emotionally rather than a 
and rationally, and next thing you know, you've got a terrible thing. Uh, when we try to make sense of the markets, that's the hard part because some of what we see in the market is legitimate and evidence of the free market, and some of what we see in the market is illegitimate and evidence of a manipulated market. It's hard to know. Every time the market moves up, down, or sideways, is that evidence of free or is it evidence of manipulated? It's part of the reason, again, you look at fundamentals, and if you can't make sense of them, I can say, look, fundamentals that we would otherwise like to look at aren't making sense in this environment, then what do you do? If you realize that something irrational is taking place in, in, the, in economics and the markets and so on, then to me, you've got to go back to something. You've got to get back to fundamentals. And at least one of the things you have to consider is the idea maybe you have to protect your wealth and how are you going to do that in what may be an irrational world. You know, insofar as the world is irrational, you have to sit back and suppose that it will be forced, whether it likes it or not, it will be forced to go back to some sort of reason, and that reason will be based on truth and fundamentals. It won't be based on manipulation. It's unfortunate that people in positions of power have always tried to manipulate the markets. We had the Hunt brothers back in the 1960s, if I recall correctly. It might have been later than that, but they tried to corner the silver market enough money, you know, it's, it's difficult to resist these temptations, but the world's a better place probably if we have free markets than if we have manipulated. They can't do it, but the government can. <laughs> uh, I understand. Well, let's just see, is Greg here? We've got another minute to go. We don't know yet from Frank whether Greg has joined us yet. Well, I'll tell you what, we got a little special going today on uh, 90% silver, 90% silver at $710, $50 face value. Uh, there will be quarters and dimes. Uh, $710 includes all your shipping costs for 90% silver, $50 face value. Give us a call at 1-800-375-4188. Greg Hunter is here. Greg is the, uh, he's the principal individual behind usawatchdog.com and greg has he has a talent and a background for attracting some of the best interviews on the internet on uh, youtube and so on he gets some good people some nice insightful interviews and great source of information hello greg how are you doing i am doing fantastic how are you doing Oh, we can't complain. Hi, Greg. This is hey, Melody. Hi, Melody. Hi. How's it going? Uh, I saw that you interviewed James Turk recently, and he thinks the end of this year we well, might be. He, this is what a lot of consensus is, and you know, in my interview with Turk, you know, I, one of the things that I've I, I've come up with, uh, I've just tried to get a consensus. What is the Everybody else will know when, and I don't know if that's knowable when the exact time is, but a lot of folks are pointing towards the end of this year for a variety of reasons. 
uh, and I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but uh, but here are the two things that are 100 percent, and I don't care whether you're the inflation camp, the deflation camp, the stock market's going to crash, the stock market's going to go sky high, gold's going to go down, gold's going to go up, uh, inflation, deflation, no matter what it is, how it takes shape, um, you know, the two things that are consistent, that are agreed upon is, A, what we're doing cannot be sustained, period, the yep. end. Nobody says it can be. B, we're headed for a financial calamity, uh, period, the end. That's what we're headed for. I mean, when when um, uh, when um, Lawrence Kalasov, he went, he testified in front of the Senate. Somebody actually put a comment on my thing, and I know him. I know him pretty well. I can old school him. When I say old school him, I can call him on the phone. I love calling people on the phone and saying, hello, Dr. Kalasov. Yeah, Greg, what are you doing? Hey, you just testified in front of the, te- uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Senate, and he t- told them two big things. A, we're broke. Came around and said it, we're broke. They know that. They know that. They know that. Did I tell you they know that? They know that. They're not stupid people in the Senate. And really, most of them in the House aren't so stupid. But in the Senate, there's no nobody. Everybody is connected. I got this from some of my people, that you make it to the Senate, you're only one of 100 people in America. You know what's going on. And he said, we're also 58% over finance. Well, he's a, you know, kind of a big Democrat, but he's still he's not making any friends with any of his Democratic buddies talking like that. Or you could say we're 58% overspent. Uh, you know, any way you cut it. So I asked him, I said, so we spend 50, we borrow 58 cents of every dollar. Yes. You think about that. Yeah, that's the majority. That's a 58 cents of every, are you, what? So we either need a, you know, I mean, the fair thing would be a 29% tax increase, a 29% across-the-board cut for everything, 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 EPA, defense, uh, Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, everything needs to be cut at least 29% with a 29% tax. Is that going to happen? No. Therefore, the consensus is it's going to crash. We can't even begin to, you know, remember a few years ago when they had the Erskine Bowles thing where they had the, not Erskine Bowles, it was, it was uh, oh, what was it, uh, it was two uh, Democrat-Republican, one of them was Erskine Bowles. Uh, anyway, they were in a $4 trillion reduction over 10 years, only $400 billion a year, only $400 billion. Listen to me. Uh, they couldn't get that done. They couldn't get $85 billion a year in sequester. That, oh, my goodness. And while they were handing out, the Federal Reserve was handing out at, at the peak a almost a half a trillion dollars every year. And nobody would even ask this question. I brought this up on your show. Who's getting that money? Who's getting that money? Yeah. Who's getting a half a trillion dollars a year? What banks are getting what money? Why and why? Who's getting it? Just tell me who's getting it. No, not a word about it, Pete. You think those people on those finance committees don't understand that? But they've got to just be. They've got to be in a position where they really do make sure there's plenty of food in those underground shelters because when this thing goes, uh, Congress is going to have to hide out for a while well, because you know, I, I, they're likely to be blamed. Likely. They, are, they cannot sit there and say they don't know. It's like the Bo Bergdahl thing, which, you know, I think is outrageous. I mean, the lies of, you know, Jonathan Gruber, which I just I'm outrageous that the USA – one of the papers I get, USA Today, they think the AMP, yeah, not a really big thing, you know, kind of a political thing. No, that's a complete concocted lie, as is you know, 
had a report. He's, and I said from the beginning, from the get-go, he's lucky he didn't get treason charges. He's stuck in front of a firing squad. I mean, Americans died looking for this weasel. It wasn't like he just wanted to go out and party. You know, boys just soldiers just want to have fun on the you know on the Kamchatka coast or something. You know, he was a weasel. I mean, you look at the lies one after another. You know, I don't have the power to uh, you know legalize five million illegal immigrants. That lie. You know, I mean, uh, you know, it was a movie for Benghazi. Lie. I mean, it's just un- just uh, it's not a smidgen of em- evidence with the IRS. You know, going after the Tea Party. Lie. Both Bergdahl, he served with honor and distinction. Lie. Uh, you know, uh, you can keep your doctor. It's going to be cheaper. You can keep your plans. Lie. 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 Well, it seems it seems America likes lies. Well, it seems like that the government has left. And then look at the, all the stats. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, the, they, they know this is going to come down. They know it's going to blow up. They know it. They have to know it. They have to. We just don't know what form it's going to take and when it's going to happen. I think when? And a lot of when? people are pointing to the end of the year. You know, they're going to redo the SDR, you know, the special drawing rights currency, and China's going to, at the very least, get a much bigger piece of the of the FDR uh, pie, at the very least. At the very least. What does the uh, what do the special drawing rights mean to the people uh, people on Main Street? How are they affected by whether we China gets a bigger chunk of the SDRs or a smaller chunk or what? How does that relate to ordinary people? A, a that's a global currency, a one currency. That so no, somebody can't destroy their currency and shift their export there their problems off to somebody else, you know, the, the Japan can't do what it's doing, you know, we can't do what it's doing, we, uh, it's a fixed, it's a settled, set up, you know, a, a, a percentage of that currency that makes the SDR a special drawing right, so in other words, you got a global currency made up by a basket of currencies, and right now the SDR is dominated by what? The dollar. Now, what happens if the if the China gets a bigger chunk of the SDR? Well, I mean, somebody's going to have to take a, a chunk down. Their currency will, in effect, be devalued. Well, ooh, that'd be the dollar. So, you know, do we owe you some money? Sure, we'll owe you the money. Here it is. Here's the, you know, thousand dollars in your bank account or whatever. You know, gas is, you know, fourteen fifty or seven fifty or a gallon or whatever it is. I don't know. Uh, you know, or you know, the, the people at the bottom, which you know, what is it? Uh, half the people are getting some kind of a government check, whether it's Social Security or uh, disability or EBT or something. And those people are going to get squeezed. Oh, boy, poor people. They want a good free market economy and valuable money more than anybody else. They don't even understand it because they've been lied to so much. So it's, you know, that's what it will mean to the pe- first person on the street. The person on the street, that's, the, that's if we're lucky, if you just have a devaluation, a 30%, 40% devaluation. Imagine that, though. Do you think that's all it would be devalued? You know, again, uh, this is the Riviera question. Exactly, you're telling me how it is going to unfold. And, and let me tell you, smart people, a lot smarter than me, with PhDs in economics, vehemently disagree on this. I mean, uh, you know, from Paul Craig Roberts, who thinks we'll have inflation, John Roberts, he doesn't have a PhD, but he owns shadowsnet.com, John, John Williams. Williams. And then you have, uh, you know, people like David Stockman think we're going to have the great deformation, wrote a book about it, about deflation. Of course, I don't know if he, you know, uh, of course, he's a lot smarter than me. He thinks we'll have deflation. You know, and John Williams says, well, no, we can't. We've already printed all this money. Jim Rickards, same thing. We've already got enough snow on the mountains. Jim Rickards is what he says. And what's that snowflake moment going to cause it? We already have enough snow for an avalanche. We have way plenty of snow for an avalanche. How? What's going to happen? 
what's going to be the trigger? And that's the, that's the question. The trigger, what's going to cause it, and who knows? And when is it going to happen? And, and, you know, the longer it goes on, the shorter the time it can go on for. Because, remember, it's unsustainable. That's, everybody agrees on that. Mm-hmm. Everybody, not a certain people, not a certain That's a fundamental starts. that you have to factor into any investment decision you make right now. The current system can't be sustained indefinitely. Absolutely positive. And I see this stuff about how, how are you going to retire? What's in your 401K? You know, how are you going to stupid? I mean, what? Yeah. <laughs> hey, my, I had a friend of mine who was at CBS News, a smart person. And I just, you know, she just, I just hope to make you retire. I said, let me get this straight now. So you think that you get to walk away from the table with all your winnings and all your retirement, and we're going to let the USS Ronald Reagan sit out in the Arabian Sea, out of fuel, out of ammo, uh, out of food. We're going to let that sit out there in the Arabian Sea while you retire fat and happy somewhere on the coast, on the east coast of the United States. Is that what you think is going to happen? Well, yeah. Why would God let bad things happen to rich people? Well, you know, that's, that's the modern book. It's not about whether God lets bad things happen to, to good people. It's why will he let bad things happen to rich people. We're going to take a break for some commercials. I'm Alfred Adams. We're here with Greg Hunter, our guest from USAWatchdog.com. And I'm here with co-host Melody Cedarson. We'll be right back. Please stay tuned. Financial obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs' emotional stress formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3w.thepowerherbs.com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. 
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19, 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you could pick the right brokerage, maybe. 
if you have the stock certificates in hand, which they don't like to do anymore, uh, that might not be bad if you have, you know, to buy the productive assets of a company. But I, boy, there's a lot of brokerages out there that I wouldn't uh, trust my, you know, a $2.50 a week allowance with. I mean, I wouldn't do it. I'm sorry. I just wouldn't. I think they commingle the accounts that, you know, everything's in a pool. There's everything's held in street name and not in your name. You think you got a statement, but it doesn't tell in street name. And I, you know, but everybody says that. So that's, that's the overarching thing that people need to know. This isn't a maybe. It's not sustainable. It will crash. The only question is, what does it look like and when does it happen? Those are the only two other questions. Really, well, the only when, two other questions. I, we can speculate about the what. What does it look like? But the when is the big question. When is the big question? It's been... You know, it's been shocking to people uh, that handle that are big nine, big name players that manage hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. And what his, what, what I, my assessment of this, covering this since, I don't know, since 2009, my assessment is that, you know, nobody ever imagined that they would do the criminal stuff they've done to prop up the system. Nobody ever imagined that. And, you know, I remember three or four years ago when you said, well, you know, the gold market's manipulated. Oh, blah, 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 blah. oh manipulated. Blah, 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 blah. Well, now uh, you can see on CNBC all the markets are manipulated. Now everything's yep. manipulated. The gold market's manipulated. Now it's common knowledge taken for granted. Yes, yes. And nobody's I even mean, objecting you know, to it. It's criminal manipulation. Whatever you have to it for granted, markets are being manipulated. We're making money. Let's let the good times roll. A couple of years ago, I mean, there was a YouTube video from um, from CNBC, Alan, uh, you know, uh, what's his name, Sorkin, uh, and uh, Becky Quick, and somebody else. They're on the set laughing about, oh, yeah, civil market. No, yeah, oh, yeah, it's definitely manipulated. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course, you know, why would they do that? Well, you can't have a, uh, you know, a technology boom with, you know, $100 an ounce silver. And so, you know, that's the that's the deal. So I, I, it, it's just uh, in the Greek situation. Is that going to be the canary in the coal mine that blows up? I mean, I don't know. Uh, you know, they can't pay the debt off. We can't. Incidentally, I got news news flash for you. We are never going to pay this 18 trillion. Let's just not talk about the you know the the gap GAP the gap account that Lauren Kalnikoff talks about, which is 210 trillion. He sat in front of Congress and said, Hey, listen. Or the Senate Finance Committee, and say, you know, we didn't, you know, grow the budget by 800, 480 billion. That's what they say. But what they are, oh, look, our deficits are shrinking, which is total bullpen. Incidentally, they've frozen the national debt at 18 trillion and change. It hasn't grown in 21 days. And do you uh, think that's even possible? They haven't spent any more money. On, they haven't money. borrowed any more money. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Alfred, we stopped spending money. Think about that. Oh, we just stopped spending money for the last 21 days? Really? Yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah. Okay. It's just, uh, but uh, you, you know. That. They've done that once before, a year or so ago, when they were having the debt ceiling deal. They they went, I don't know, a month, 45 days or something like that, where they show that, you know, it, it didn't move at all. And it's like, I, never and you know, back. it doesn't make any difference to anybody. It should, well, it does make it. When, when the rest of the world finally realizes, wow, they're never paying this, this stuff back. They're never paying it back. Yeah. I mean, then, then what, what does the Fed do, buy up all the bonds? I mean, what do they do now? I mean, how many can, that, you know, can only go so far. I mean, there's, when the king has no clothes, somebody has to stand up someday and say, whoa, he's butt naked. What's the significance of the Fed buying up the bonds? And the significance or, is they can't sell them on the private market, which means they're at least they're, not they're, anything they're, close to face value. 
which yeah, means what about all it's evidence that the that the free market has already rejected United States bonds, right? At the prices they're charging you, they say, well, that's what about all So we have to sell. They are the lender of last resort. But it's evidence that the world has lost confidence in U.S. bonds. They are the buyer of last resort. Well, think about that. Because if they put that stuff out on bid and say, here, 10-year treasury for, what is it, 1.6%, 1.7%, what is it, something stupid like that? Uh, but if they put that out on bid, I mean, you think it'd sell that for 10 years? No. No, they have to pay real rates. I mean, what would happen if there were real rates? I mean, James Turk did the math on it and said, if it was 5%, we'd be spending a trillion dollars a year just in interest. Can't yeah. do that. I mean, we'll ultimately, uh, we're ultimately default. We're actually in the process of defaulting now. Yeah. If we're buying all this I, debt and we're printing all this money, we're, we are, in effect, in default. We're in technical default. You know, so, I mean, that's the people are in dreamland that this is going to keep going. I mean, the, the headlines of, of, you know, Coach K, oh, the tears, that stupid basketball game. I'm sorry, but, I'm hey, my team put a leather ball through this metal ring more than yours did. Yay! That's what's important in life. I yeah. mean, we're talking about bread and circus here, folks. I mean, we're yeah. – come on. I mean, this is stupid. And it's uh, frustrating because you try to communicate these ideas, and it's almost amazing how little traction you get. People just we're don't told, want to listen to what you have to say. We're told constantly that we have a recovery. What, what did the Atlanta Fed just come out and say? That uh, the growth, they're estimating, is now in the middle of February, they said it was going to be 2.3%. And now they say, wow, well, it's going to be zero. Well, it's, you know, factor in some inflation, it's negative. It's been negative. There's no recovery. There's no, no real jobs created. They just quit counting people where a record... Uh, labor participation rate, yes, granted, some of that is the baby boom generation retiring, but that's less people working. They are collecting. They're not paying taxes unless they're paying just paying taxes on their Social Security or paying taxes on some investments, but they're not really, you know, payroll taxes. We're not productive. We're not working. That's 93 million. There's another, what, 14 or 15 million who are, you know, quote, unquote, on disability. I mean, this is unbelievable, unparalleled in human history. Unparalleled in American history. It's unbelievable. Meanwhile, we're we're being told, oh, things are better, things are great. Look at all these great, wonderful technological breakthroughs that are come going to come through. You know, where we don't need people to do stuff anymore. You know, like there'll be full robotics at Caterpillar. They won't need people driving heavy equipment. Yeah, what will they drive? Power. What will they do? You know, they're not going to quit their job as truck drivers and become nuclear physicists or systems analysts. There are some people, the only thing they can do is physical. They can only do menial tasks to support themselves, and that's the first place the robots are going to go. Well, this is what I mean, you see in the Roomba, that gizmo that will travel around the house and clean up, you know, it will vacuum the floor. That Roomba is replacing the maid who used to come in to clean the house. In part, yes. Yeah. And we keep up. Where's the maid going? She's not a maid because... She has a Ph.D. in economics. She's a maid because it's the best she can get. What's she got after she's been replaced by a robot? What are we going to do with her? I mean, it's strange. We are headed into a just time of just extraordinary challenges, difficulty, and it's just a question. You know what? I I, I, I do this out. I try not to talk to the guests ahead of time because I want you know I want spontaneity in effect. I mean, they, they really the uh, on the Tonight Show. That was one of the things that Johnny Carson did. He never talked to people other than, hey, how you doing? Thanks for being here. Got to go. Bye.
go to learn to get it, you know, spontaneous, right? Yep. And so I go to, uh, um, I'm sure Jimmy's, what's his name, does the same thing, although he's kind of a far, far cry from Fallon or whatever. Anyway, so, uh, but I was on with uh, uh, James Turpin and said, you know, it's bizarre. I mean, we're, I mean, have you ever seen this ever in your life? And the first thing out of his mouth was, if there are negative interest rates all over the world, nobody would have ever thought that five years, ten years old. Interest rate, you'll pay the banks, you'll pay banks to put your money in there. And that's what's happening, and that's the only reason why the dollar's gone up, because we have a, you know, a, we don't have a negative interest rate like Germany does when they're paying on their bonds. They have, we have a, a slightly positive, like slightly less, and, you know, you, for, for if you go to a, just your local bank and say, hey, I'd like to lock my money up for a year, how much can I get? Uh, well, Ten basis points, one-tenth of a percent, maybe. Hey, if you do it for five years, you can get a, percent, a whole percent. Yeah. Where will you I mean, don't spend it all in one place, huh? Well, which means the money's not worth anything. The cost of money is nothing. Well, they're doing the this in order anything. to... They are hoping to cause people to borrow more money because they believe that will help to stimulate the economy. And they're trying to make borrowing as attractive as they possibly can, and if that includes negative interest rates... Uh, well, here's the problem. Uh, Albert, uh, and, and if you take a look at uh, Obamacare, I have a friend of mine that was promised a full-time job, but when Obamacare got voted through, guess what? He's working 29 hours a week. Yep. And yep. I was telling him about, he's got a friend that owns a, you know, a condo that he's going to have to sell. I said, listen, you don't have a full-time job. You're going to be able to qualify for a loan. And, and nobody's going to loan you money with a part-time job. So work out a deal where you can get a, you know, a, a, a lease option to buy type thing where some of your rent goes to the down. Even if you have to pay them a little bit above, you know, market value for the thing, you know, at the end of a year, you can have some money and you can go to a closing table on you and him and you've already kind of taken over the payments. You've got a payment history. And, you know, you got to make the payments, and that's what my point is. You still have to have enough income, even if it's 0%. You have to have enough income to make the payments, and a lot of people simply don't. They just don't. You might be able to work a deal with owner financing. You, you, may, you won't be able to do. Finance. He won't yes. be able to make a deal with a bank to borrow the money, but he might be able to make a deal with someone that an owner who wants to sell the property on his own he under those circumstances. But you have to watch. That's careful. You have to be careful. He might be able to make a deal after two years of payments, just as long as he's yes. got some equity in the place. I don't know. Yes. But I mean, you can't. You got to be able to make the payments. And so that's and what happens with as things tighten up and fewer people can make can borrow the money necessary to take get a loan to buy a house. What happens to the price of homes? I think if interest rates go up, the price of homes crushes, collapses. Absolutely. I mean, that's why people like are, are thinking. Well, you know, maybe if we're going to have all this inflation, maybe I can. Um, you know, borrow a bunch of money and then pay it back, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, with cheaper dollars. dollars. I think they're going to end up re- redoing a Jim Sinclair at JS Mindset. You know, Mr. Gold is what they call him, a brilliant guy. Uh, been around the financial community for a long time. He's owned brokerage houses and done multi million dollar trades. And I mean, he owns gold mines now in Tanzania. But um, he says, no, 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 you're not going to be able to get a free house for the cost of a postage stamp. They're going to redo the debt and the and whatever currency they come up with. It's, and, it's, it's, and Jim Rickards a while ago said it's going to be SDRs. It's going to be strategic. Uh, strategic do you think that will happen, though? I, I have my doubts. After the dollar, if in the event that the dollar collapses, people will understand for the first time what a fiat currency is. 
right? They'll begin to distinguish between money and fiat currency. And I'm going to guess that after the dollar collapses, if it collapses, the public is going to sit back. We're not taking another fiat currency. They're going to want something tangible like gold. Can they can they pull off a deal with that special drawing rights where they can make people believe in that? I don't know if they can or not. If they have a gold component, if China says, yes, our, our currency is part of this uh, a currency, and we have, uh, you know, that's when you're going to find out how much gold they got. Yeah. You're going to find out an official... And I mean, you know, they may even open it up to reporters. They may, uh, you know, ring a stadium uh, with, uh, you know, the Chinese military and bring it all out into the middle of the stadium on pallets and set it out for everybody to see and photograph uh, or whatever. They're going to say, hey, we really got 10,000 tons. We really have 20,000 tons. We really have. And that is a part of our real reserves. And, of course, and the price won't be $1,200 at some point. It'll be, you know, it's worth 5000 an ounce or 10000 But China didn't buy this to lose money. China didn't buy uh, the equivalent of the mining production of the world. Then there's also the scrap that comes in every year, which is, uh, I don't know, 1,000 tons, uh, 2,400 tons in mining. So it's about 3,500, 600 tons, I think. You know, we're in that neighborhood. Uh, but China did not buy all this gold for it to go backwards. At some, and they're, they're long-term players. I mean, they think in long-term. Well, it's an investment. In their own way, it's an investment, and if I'm going to make an investment, I want the price to go up. I don't care if you're investing in cars, homes, land, whatever. Your investment, your profit is a reflection of the price going up. So China has to want the price of gold to go up. They don't want to get it. They don't want it to go up while they're buying it. They want to buy it at fire sale sale prices. But as soon as they can't buy any more, and they've exhausted most of the most of the people they were selling gold, they're gone. At that point, China can sit back and say, well, now it's time to raise prices. Let's take a break for some more commercial announcements. I'm Alfred Addis. Here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival, and our guest is Greg Hunter from USAWatchdog.com. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand, have a plan, have peace, and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? 
Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. I'm Alfred Adams here with Melody Cedarstrom on financial survival, and our guest is Greg Hunter from USAWatchdog.com. We've been talking about the financial debacle that our nation is in. The nation, the world, and virtually all of it, in my opinion, traces back to fiat currency. But let's take a look at let's take a look at something else here for a topic. Uh, uh, you talked to Craig, uh, Craig Roberts, Paul Craig Roberts, and he's predicting. Middle East Revolution and Inflationary Depression coming. Um, he says, let me read from the blurb on your, on your blog, former Assistant Secret- Treasury Secretary Dr. Paul Craig Roberts thinks the Middle East violence is going to get much worse. Dr. Robert con- Roberts right contends... Hold on. The Iranians just got their Navy to Yemen. Yep. 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 And uh, we're already... No, I don't, no, I don't doubt. I think, it's, I think he's right. It's We're, already go up in Yemen. We're already up on the uh, Saudis target, make targets, uh, you know, to, to uh, discern targets in Yemen for their military. And what we're going we're gonna to be pulling up next to an Iranian vessel and what's going to happen there. While we're helping the Iranians in Iraq, oh, boy, uh, it, the plot is sickening. Well, Dr. Roberts, he says, unless the Islamic State somehow collapses, you're going to see a new wave of revolutionary developments in the Middle East. Now, my question to you is this. Is the Islamic State merely a bunch of murderous SOBs that have kind of come together and had some remarkable success, at least initially, or is this a second wave of the Arab Spring that burst out in the late 2010 and on into 2011? Is this another variation on Islamic or on, on the Muslim, the Arab Spring, excuse me? Is that what we're okay. looking at, or are they completely separated events? I, I I think they're related. I don't know if they're completely separated, but I don't think they're completely What I mean is emotionally, they're, do, they, do they feed off the same energy uh, that's in the body politic that was no, there? I, I, and the answer is no, I don't, because what happened in, for example, where the Arab Spring started uh, in Egypt is that, uh, you know, that was not a Muslim Brotherhood event, but the Muslim Brotherhood, got control. That was much less a Muslim, but even though they got control, that was not a Muslim brotherhood. Most people were not for what happened. Uh, now there's a military, you know, CC is in there, Al-Sisi, I think, is the founder leader, former military uh, leader of uh, Egypt, which is, you know, a military dictatorship. But, uh, you know, the, the Islamic State was, uh, you know, and I talked to Paul Craig Roberts about this. He was very negative about America, incidentally. And I said, you know, 
it's not run by the CIA and Mossad because there's no way you can back that up. Uh, what, what you can say is we funded that and Congress voted to fund the quote-unquote moderate rebels, and John, people like John McCain had his picture taken with our members of al-Qaeda, and what this did was blow up you know, in their faces. It's like Israel years ago uh, you know, uh, basically funded Hamas as a counterweight to the Palestinian Liberation, uh, you know, the PLO organization, the PLO. Yep. Now the Palestinian Authority, and people will say, oh, well, you know, the uh, Israelis invented Hamas. No, 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 they did never intended for it to be what it is today. And I think we never intended ISIS to be what it is today. I think we intended to fund these rebels, and they were going to knock out Assad, and they were going to knock the Iranians out of the box. And oops, they said, hmm, let's get our own country first. You know, out here in uh, e- you know, uh, eastern uh, Syria and western Iraq, you know, we can take this over and have our own, you know, these are just borders drawn by the British back in the 30s, we don't, we just get our own country, and they did. Yep. And we funded them. And then they, we left all this equipment behind for the uh, Iraqi military, and we were very gracious about it. You know, everything from tanks to, you know, uh, Humvees to Bradley fighting vehicles to uh, Stinger missiles, uh, you know, all kinds of tow missiles. We left them everything. We left them a grocery store of military hardware. And they've been using it. And so, you know, our, which shows our, you know, Putin came up, and I, I don't want to carry Putin's water because, you know, a lot of journalists have died. Uh, I think 21 have died of gunshot wounds uh, since, and I'm not talking about his political uh, opponents. I'm talking about just journalists in Russia since Putin was elected office. So, you know, USA Watchdog could never function, you know, as a Russia Watchdog in Russia. That wouldn't happen. Yeah. And same thing with China. So people are like, oh, China, Russia, they're like, no, 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 they're not deity. You don't want to live under the yoke. You know, at least they make us think we're semi-free, and we are semi-free, but they are not free in Russia, and they certainly aren't free in China. And you can't criticize uh, anybody over there. But I will tell you that Putin said uh, back before 9-11-12, remember that, Colonel in the KGB? And I had this on my site, brought it up in a weekly news wrap-up and said, you know, Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, uh, says, you know, that when you get the terrorists to do your bidding, this is talking about Libya, uh, it can backfire in your face. And what happened about two weeks later? Yeah, 9-11-12, where our four Americans, including an ambassador, were murdered by uh, uh, al-Qaeda-related terrorists that the U.S. put there, according to widely published reports uh, back in 11 and 12. And I'm a CNN, NBC, ABC, New York Times, L.A. Times. I had all kinds of sources where, wow, we took people that the coalition forces were fighting, al-Qaeda, and we had them arrested, and we put them in Iraq, including one of their top commanders, excuse me, in Libya, including one of their top commanders. So, they, I, I, you know, I don't know, is chaos what the, what the real policy is, if we could just create a, uh, as much chaos as we can in the Middle East? I don't know. That's and a very chaos, good question. Though, that's a good question, and it was something I was headed to myself. What is the United States doing over there in the West, not just the United States, but also the West? You talked about the lines for Iraq and Syria and so on. They were just drawn by some Europeans not so long ago. ISIS doesn't have to follow those, doesn't have to follow those geographic rules. Are we dealing with chaos that's inherent in the Middle East? Is that all we're dealing with? These people just can't get organized. All right, they well, can't be. They can't work on a civilized. Or are we dealing with a with a situation where the United States, in particular, and the West in general, has lost its ability to impose its will in the Middle East, and in that power vacuum, all of a sudden, chaos is, is 
beginning to blossom. Or, I, as you said, it's chaos to policy. We want to chaos. Listen, it, it's, it, it, Alfred, let's just, and I'm not an expert on the Middle East, but I, I will tell you what published reports say. Okay? Let's just start in Syria. So we go, and John McCain is, has his picture taken with the moderate rebels, which he gets his picture taken with top members of al-Qaeda. It does. It's fact. Run it up on Fox. Widely reported. It's not an Internet myth. Okay? Uh, Congress voted to fund the moderate rebels. The moderate rebels, in part, have been saying this since Libya, which uh, Rand Paul accused uh, the State Department, our State Department, of running guns from Libya to uh, – he did it on the House – on the Senate floor uh, – running guns from Libya to Syria. So let's just take Syria now and the red line – and if you use chemical weapons, and some people say they were the rebels, I don't know. And, uh, you know, just to take Syria, and we funded the moderate rebels, and they turned into – uh, they were also in part al-Qaeda. And then al-Qaeda turned into the, uh, the IS, the Islamic State, or the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, or the Islamic State of Iraq and Levant, you know, whatever. Or, or Daesh is what the uh, – because they, they're not like uh, – they're not really Islamic Daesh, D-A-S-A, they call them Daesh. And uh, they're getting this, they're getting some of this stuff right out of the Koran. It's written in the Koran, beheading people, that kind of stuff, killing the infidels, uh, killing Jews. That's the kind of stuff they, they do. And so just to stay right here in Syria, and so 300 we, – so we funded these moderate rebels, uh, in part al-Qaeda. Uh, this group breaks off into uh, IS, the Islamic State, and we've – now 300,000 people have been killed at least, 300,000, many more maimed. Uh, a couple of million, uh, you know, displaced. And now what are we going to say in Syria? Oops, all bad. Oh, sorry. Oh, that didn't work out. Oh, now we're friends with Iran, who's back in Assad, and Russia is in there, too. Oops, sorry. That we're going to say there in Syria? How long ago was it that McCain was singing bomb, 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 Iran? Oh, that was about a decade ago. Well, sure, I understand that, but the point is... Now, now let's go down. You know, one day's friends is next is next day's enemy, and so on. Where's coherent policy? Well, now let's go down to Iraq, and what are we doing there? We're helping uh, uh, Iranians and Iranian militia, and these Iranians were responsible for hundreds of maimings and IEDs in Iraq. That's a fact. And uh, so now we're helping the Iranians uh, bomb uh, the Islamic State first and foremost in Tikrit. We're helping them. We're helping them. Well, let's move down to Yemen. Now, uh, we don't have ground forces on the ground, but uh, but the Saudis had bought uh, more uh, military hardware in 2014, and I remember back in 2012 or 13, they bought $60 billion worth of, I mean, tanks, rocket launchers, uh, you know, uh, jeeps, uh, Bradley fighting deals, ammunition, guns, tow missiles, you name it, they bought it. $60 billion worth from the U.S. Uh, arms manufacturers. And they bought, uh, you know, a, a record level. They beat the world last year, Saudi Arabia. And uh, India came in second, and China came in third. And uh, the biggest arms suppliers are, you know, the U.S., U.K., France. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so, so we have our Navy down there. We have our Air Force. We're helping the, the, uh, the Saudis, uh, which are aligned with al-Qaeda, against the Houthis, which are backed by Iran, according to Senator Richard Burr. Uh, he was on the Foreign Intelligence Committee. I think that's what it is. And uh, so now we're helping Saudi Arabia bomb the Houthi, uh, Iranian-backed Houthi uh, rebels. And now Iran is sending their neighbor, their navy to the Yemeni coast. And we're trying to cut deals with Iran at the same time. 
We are on one hand Iran's enemy, on the other hand, we are their friend. You know, the whole thing just becomes bizarre. And what can possibly come out of this? Can we win this? Is this a strategy where we can come out ahead, or are we virtually because to lose because we're Obama, If I talk about all the lies, they know them too, and they're at a much higher level than me, and nobody's going to trust them. These Saudis, I'm sure, have already bought nuclear weapons. This is why I've reported for the last couple of years that they were talking to the Pakistanis, which incidentally makes nuclear weapons, and the Saudis have tons of cash, and so we bet they made a deal. The Saudis are freaking out. The the, uh, the, all the Arabs, they, we look at this like, you know, the Hatfields and McCoys. Look at this like the Protestants and the Catholics. This is the Shia, that's the Persians, that's Iranian, yep. against the Sunni, that's the Arabs. And the Sunni are about 90% of the Middle East. Yep. And so, uh, you know, is, uh, is that the, the deal? We, are they trying to reconstitute a, a uh, Iraq, Iran, you know, Hatfields and McCoy, Sunni versus Shia war on a grand scale in the Middle East? I don't know. But you can't. I asked Paul Craig Roberts about this. He was in the uh, Reagan administration. He said, "Well, this is faction fighting inside of the Obama administration, whether it be military-industrial complex, I, you know, NSA, CIA, uh, you know, the uh, the elected body, the uh, the administration, uh, you know, that they, 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 that's what he says." And I'm thinking, "Wow, there's no consistent policy. It's, there's nearly no consistent policy other than the fact if you look at this uh, as a whole, it's total chaos." Now, either that's done on purpose, or or the Obama administration is completely incompetent, or it's a combination of the two. I don't know. I don't see how we come out of this, because the Saudis, they're not loving on Iran, who hates, uh, and now they're sending their military, you know, a few hundred miles off their southern border, which is, you know, Yemen is on the southern border, and now Iran is sending their warships, and, you know, they're sending submarines. So Iran is sending... Their, their navy down to the Yemeni coast, which is an important chokehold, incidentally. I think it's only 18 miles wide. The Mambu, the Mambai, Mambab Strait, the Strait of Mambai, Mambab. Right. I don't know what, exactly what it's called, but anyway, uh, that's the strait that, that feeds the, um, the um, Suez Canal, which eventually gets uh, ships into the Mediterranean, which can come to Europe uh, and uh, Great Britain and wherever. So I don't know. I. I don't know. And that's just part of the point. People need to be prepared because there is no evidence of stability anywhere on the face of the globe. Everything is up for grabs. Some is more uh, unstable. It's more unstable in some, in some regions than others. But in the midst of this instability, you have to wonder how long can the system, which is acknowledged, it can't last, it's not sustainable, in the midst of all this instability, how much longer can the monetary system less. You have to count, and I'm not trying to, you know, Melody, I'm not trying to be a salesman for you guys, although mm-hmm. I don't sell gold, but I think everybody should, and I've actually told people to contact you guys, uh, because I know you guys are, are you know, you, you sell gold and silver for a profit, but you're honest, and yeah. this is why you have to have, you know, I'm going to tell people to go out and bet the farm, but you have to have, you know, you have to have some, if you have some, if you, listen, if you don't have any money, you should go out and buy food and water. But if you if you have some money to to that you want to shield and you want it under your direct control, there's no other better way to do it than physical gold and silver. And I like coins personally. I don't like bars. I don't like art bars. Oh, I, I agree with like you. That's what 
Greg, we're going to have to break because we are out of time. We appreciate the plug. We certainly appreciate you being on the program. Look forward to talking to you again in the near future. This is Greg. All of a sudden, I'm losing my marbles in my old age uh, from usawatchdog.com. And I'm Alfred Astor with Melody Cedarstrom. We'll be back tomorrow in the meantime. The good Lord was you, me, Melody, Greg, Frank, the producer. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Greg. I work all night, I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it bad? Still, there never seems to be a single penny left for me.
888-346-9159 or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click the satellite system. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now.
Good afternoon, all. This is Frank Report. Good afternoon, all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. That, you might not know, is the second time I said that because I have a fader here for my mic that doesn't see it. It has a dead spot. When I just hit it right, which I seem to be good at, it uh it doesn't work, so I did my little opening there, and uh, <laughs> it uh, well didn't uh, go out, but now it did. So anyway, there you go. It is April eighth, two thousand fifteen. It's Wednesday, so if that's true where you're at, we may be live. If it's about nine minutes after two p.m. Pacific time, okay. If that's the uh day and time, then we are, in fact, live. And what that means is you can, in fact, participate in the show if we are live. That's really the big difference between live and pre-recorded or archived or whatever we call it, is that you can participate in the live show by calling in 855-566-3738. 855-566-3738, or you can go to the website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com, find the chat link, go there, and you can uh, participate from there. I'm in there. I pop in to check out what's going on. I actually you know, participate during the break a little bit. And uh, you can ask questions, make comments. You don't have to. You can just chat with the other folks in there. Chat room is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you can actually uh, go in there at any time. And usually, not always, but usually there's somebody in there that you can chat with. Have it. Anyhow, there is another way. If you have Yahoo Instant Messenger, I figure I'll mention this just because, you know, it's there, it's open, I have it, and you can communicate directly with me. You're not going on the air and you're not talking to anybody else. It's only me that sees the Yahoo Instant Messenger. The name you're looking for when you go to Yahoo Instant Messenger to do the search is ABRN Talk. ABRN Talk. 
that's the uh, screen name that you're looking for. So if you get that, you can uh, send me an instant message, and I'll see that too. So those are the ways to do that. We, of course, are on the Internet. We are on KU Band Satellite. We also have a phone bridge through TalkShoe. So no matter what level of technology you're operating on, if you have the bare minimum, which is a phone, and it doesn't even have to be a cell phone, because if you do have a, a smartphone, we've got all kinds of apps for whatever kind of cell phone you've got or smartphone you've got. But if you've just got a regular phone, well, then the phone bridge, because you just call in a number, which is on the website, which, uh, well, some of you listening may not have Internet. So I'll give it to you, 724-444-7444, okay? You dial that number, and it'll say welcome and this and that and the other thing, and enter you enter the number. Well, the number you need to enter is 129 117 pound sign. 129 117 pound sign. Then it'll say, uh, you know, enter your PIN. If you're not a member, press 1 and pound. You'll want to press 1 and pound, unless, of course, you are a member. Then you know what you're doing anyway. You don't need my explanation. But if you're not, you're just a guest. That's what they'll call you guest. Just Dial one and pound, and it will start. It'll give an introduction, say it's talk shoe and this and that. Now, if you get, because there is a time limitation on these, and if you get, uh, it says, uh, well, uh, you know, the uh, conference hasn't started or there is no conference or whatever, you do not have to redial the phone number. It'll say, hey, that, that didn't work. Uh, basically, try again. The other number is 130-294-POUND. 130-294-POUND. And again, one pound after that, and you'll be in. One of those two will work for live shows, okay? Not a live show. The phone bridge may not be on. Now, in the middle of the day, if it's a, you know, a pre-recorded show, it may still be on. But, you know, the, the, the general rule is live shows are the ones that go on the phone bridge, nothing else. Anyway, so that's pretty much all the ways to listen. I, I don't go through this that much these days about that because, uh, honestly, most people are on the Internet. Second, most are on the satellite. And the Internet does count as apps. And then the third most is the uh, phone bridge, you know. And then there's uh, people that listen on small AMs and FMs all around the country. You know, when I say small, some of these FMs out there, you know, they cover a block. You know, they cover a block. Maybe there's 20 people listening on them. You know, that's fine with me. I'm telling you, this is uh, – we're not – if you think that we're in a position where, well, you know, what we need to do is we need to break through and get on Fox News. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. That isn't going to happen. They really, truly are the controlled propagandists of the government. All right?
Now, Obama is lying again. This is just, it's unbelievable. President Obama said in an interview broadcast today that his push to address climate change has been partly influenced by a frightening moment when his daughter, Malia, had an asthma attack as a four-year-old. Okay, so now, folks, we're, we're tying asthma to climate change. Are you kidding me? Why don't we, uh, unless he's talking about uh, the geo-manipulation that's going on in the skies as climate change, Oh, okay, because it's a lot more likely than the chemtrails that this scumbag in the White House allows to be spread all over the uh, world caused her asthma than climate change. But no, here we go. What I can relate to is the fear a parent has when your four-year-old daughter comes up to you and says, Daddy, I'm having trouble breathing. Right, you feel is terrible. The president said on ABC's Good Morning America, see, folks, he's just like you and me. Not. And if we can make sure that our responses to the environment are reducing those incidents, that's something that I think every parent would wish for. What? Obama has made climate change a major priority of his White House. This week he announced a global warming report that focuses on how people can take action to reduce health risks associated with the changing climate. Yeah, because everybody knows when it gets warmer out, everybody gets sick. Oh, wait, no, that's not true, is it? No. You know why it's not true? Because when it's cold, your body has to generate more heat, which takes more energy. And if you have a depleted uh, immune system, you are taking necessary energy away from your immune system, fighting off, you know, the things that are already around to keep yourself warm. This is why people get colds in the winter more than the summer, all right? It's not because, oh, well, you got to chill. I mean, in a way... That's kind of true. You see, this was all anecdotal that people could see. Wow, when you got cold and wet, you ended up getting sick. Well, the reason why is because when you got cold and wet, your body had to use its energy to keep you warm. And that took away energy from your immune system. And if your immune system is not strong, you will get sick. So when it gets warm out, uh, guess what? Nah, well, global warming, yeah, you know, health risks. Anyway, but this strategy hasn't been welcomed by all of Congress, including former uh, a number of Republican lawmakers who don't feel that climate change presents a pressing risk, as the president suggests. Obama encouraged a societal approach to climate change involving public health officials, doctors, and community leaders, community leaders, community leaders, just like he was, communist infiltrators. That's what a community leader is, folks. They are the front men for the communist worldwide revolution. Make no mistake.
there are a whole host of public health impacts that are going to hit home, so we've got to do better in protecting vulnerable Americans. Ultimately, though, all our families are going to be vulnerable. Folks, what he's talking about is the geoengineering. Oh, and they're doing it, folks. Yeah, they are doing it. There's no there's no question about it. There is no debate, really. They are doing it. I just got, as a matter of fact, I just downloaded a uh, video that I didn't get the chance to full thing, but I watched a lot of it, enough to where I said, hey, you know what, uh, I'm going to this on chemtrails all about and it's not just chemtrails it's on geoengineering this is this is the thing they're doing and chemtrails is a part of that so is harp so is other things yeah somebody in the chat room says maybe global warming is racist no, no, you know what it's going to be, though? That's a good point, because you know what it's going to be? It's going to be if you deny global warming, you're a racist. Yeah, global global warming deniers are probably racists. I mean, after all, you know, uh, the poor will be affected more than anybody, won't they, by global warming? I mean, not really, but we can say that because we can say anything. And uh, that being the case, well, if you deny global warming, you hate the poor. And uh, blacks are more poor than whites, so you hate blacks. See, you are a racist if you deny global warming. See, it all makes perfect sense as long as you're an idiot. It's just amazing. Just amazing. The stories, the stories that Americans buy. Speaking of which, you know, here's Obama talking about, well, you know, uh, global warming. Yeah, okay. Here's a headline. Uh, How do you like this one? If you don't think Obama will send Americans to FEMA camps, then listen to this former FBI agent. Now, this is a video. However, they have a uh, corresponding little article with it. The weatherman underground leader, Bill Ayers, you've heard of him, right? The guy who wrote Obama's book. The guy who started Obama's political career in his in his uh, living room, the guys who who so-called his this is his cover story that his father, Bill Ayers' father, paid for Obama's Harvard education. Yeah, that Bill Ayers. He told former FBI agent informant and my late friend. This is the uh, the writer of this. Larry Grafwall, that he believed that when the communist takeover happened, he would have to incarcerate 50 million Americans into re-education camps and exterminate 25 million of them. Larry was on an FBI special informant who had penetrated the weather underground. Bill Ayers and his wife, Bernadine Dorn, launched Obama's political career from their living room of their Chicago home. Tom Ayers, Bill's daddy, funded Obama's Harvard education. 
this information also appears in an affidavit obtained by Sheriff Joe Arpaio from Maricopa County, Arizona. Oh, by the way, if you think, well, yeah, that's old news, but Bill Ayers still to this day visits the White House. Nobody would believe these facts in a movie. However, you better believe that this administration will not hesitate to send any of us to a FEMA camp or whatever else they call it, and the intent is well documented. The reasons for the implementation of the NDAA is indefinite detention of Americans without due process of law should be apparent. But you know what, folks? They can write any law they want. They need you to go along with it. This is why, folks, it is so, so important to never give up your guns. It doesn't matter if you go out and shoot. It doesn't matter, you know, if you... It doesn't matter as long as you have them and you have ammunition for them. Yeah, sure, it's good to go out and practice now and again so you can hit something. But just, okay, look, it's just like states that have concealed carry versus places like Chicago that, you know, they try to make it completely illegal. You don't even have to have a gun to be protected from less restrictive gun laws. Okay, let's follow along here. So you're a crook and you live in Chicago and you know, hey, nobody here is allowed to have guns except cops, so let's not rob any cops. So we'll just sit around and we'll rob people, okay? We'll just rob people. And, uh, you know, we've got guns because we're criminals and, oh, it's against the law to have a gun. So what? against the law to rob people too but we're doing that so we might as well have a gun while we're doing it so they're robbing people with guns and nobody has guns to blow their heads off and uh you know they evade the cops or pay off the cops or whatever they're doing and they get away with it and everybody lives in fear and has to take special precautions to try to get by in a place like that then you go to somewhere that hey there are no restrictive gun laws and uh you never know who's got a gun Little granny could have a gun in her purse. The 90-pound weakling might have a gun under his arm. You never know. So you better be careful with who you rob. So you got a gun, you go rob somebody and blow your head off. Now, let's just say you're against guns. You're afraid of guns. You don't have any guns. But you live in a place where people do. Guess what? See, those criminals, they don't know if you have a gun or you don't. They don't know that you're a sissified puke that has no business living in America. Okay, they don't know that by looking at you, unless you got a big, like a bumper sticker on your forehead saying, I don't have a gun, please rob and rape me. They don't know, because you are benefiting from the people that do have guns. So you see, even if you are against having a gun for yourself, understand that other people having guns is, in fact, benefiting you and providing to your safety. So, therefore, even if you don't have guns, you'd be a fool, a fool with a death wish to ever promote everybody getting rid of their guns. 
I mean, the statistics prove this, all right? For all the fear tactics of the left, for all the fear tactics of, of basically the communist revolution, They don't have any facts. They don't have any statistics. They don't have anything. They have nothing but fear and propaganda. All right. Here's some more great news about coming, uh, you know, coming to the USA. We had this thing about this administration at FEMA camps, and they might not be called FEMA camps, folks. They might be called work camps. They might... Folks, they might call it the CCC again. They could call it the Conservation Corps camp. You know, it doesn't matter what they call it, okay? So don't get hung up on names. Hitler told all the uh, people, and it wasn't just Jews, that Hey, oh, we don't have jobs. Oh, there's no jobs. So, uh, hey, you know what? Get on these trains here, and uh, we will transport you to where there are jobs so you can be productive. How'd that work out? And why'd they get on there? Oh, I know, because they didn't have guns. Because, see, Hitler had already done first gun registration, then gun confiscation. So why is the mainstream media still pretending like the case is still being made for arming the TSA? You know, those incompetent morons that work at the airport and try to act like they're law enforcement, like they're cops. These are just wannabe security guys that want to be real cops. At this local airport here in Medford, I was shocked. I mean, look, if you're going to wear a uniform... And I'm not big on uniforms, but if you're going to wear a uniform, it should be tidy, okay? Meaning your shirt should be tucked in, not half hanging out, and not some fat slob walking around, waddling around the airport in his untucked shirt with his hair not even combed. I mean, this is what I saw when I saw TSA at the Medford International Airport. It was a disgrace, not just to TSA, but anybody who wears a uniform in any capacity, even a fireman. Well, meanwhile, while the media is discussing, oh, well, let's uh, talk about maybe they should be armed. Yeah, right. Maybe we should give monkeys guns, too, and let them run around the streets. Yeah, that's a good idea. Meanwhile, the Federal Business Opportunities official government website is filled with agency contracts for TSA agents to train at firing ranges within a certain mile radius of major airports nationwide. And they have been for months now. So uh, it seems as though the discussion's over somehow, somewhere. They've already decided to arm TSA agents. So now... It's one thing to have the Gestapo at airports because, you know what, you can just decide, well, that's it. I'm not going to fly. That's what I've decided. 
if I have to go somewhere that requires me to fly, I don't have to go because I'm not flying. And I can't afford to take the train. And, oh, wait, they've got the Gestapo at the train, too. And they've got the Gestapo at the Greyhound buses. Oh, my. What's next? Well, what's next is they'll be on the highways. And they're about to be armed and authorized to use deadly force. Ooh, won't this be fun? Don't give up your guns, folks. I mean, meanwhile, you know what? They're telling you, uh, you know, guns are dangerous. You should do this. Maybe we're going to uh, not let you have any ammo. Maybe we're not going to do this. Maybe we're going to do that. Meanwhile, they are arming themselves to the teeth. And they're not arming the military to go fight a war somewhere. They are arming domestic police, domestic law enforcers, federal and state. When did we get a, uh, oh, yes, that's right, when we became the homeland that everybody thought was such a great idea because we're such a bunch of coward sissies and we didn't recognize that, oh, uh, let's see, boy, those towers sure look like a controlled demolition. Now, oh, I just it's the time. My mind, it's time to take a break. Okay, well, we'll take a break and we'll be back in just a bit. Everybody, stay right where you're at.
have denied internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC ceased in use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free to air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75 centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541 225 4659. That's 541 225 4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click the satellite system. Unemployment insurance running out, jobs leaving the country. Many people cannot afford to eat or keep a roof over their head. Too many can be neither. Messiah's Branch, as a mission church in Wichita, Kansas, that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people. Your neighbors, the mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children who once had homes, now in the street. They all need what you need. First aid, bed, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monitor to get or a box of this message to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to Wichita Homeless. Or simply call 316-619-4886. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulphur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
saga of Congressman Aaron Slimy Shock recently came to an end, there was an unintentionally darkly comic moment. It happened just after the Downton Abbey fanboy announced his resignation from the House of Representatives. In an interview, his father, Dr. Richard Schock, and Schock is S-C-H-O-C-K. I, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but I'm just told a Chicago TV station, 10 years from now, whatever he's doing, he'll be successful at it. I promise you that. Two years from now, he'll be successful if he's not in jail. <laughs> Now, that's a proud dad for you. Assuming my boy's not in the slammer, he'll be on top of the world. Yeah, but his daddy might have a point. In fact, what do you want to bet that if Aaron Schock's not in jail, he'll soon be back on Capitol Hill of success once again, pulling in even heftier paychecks, not as an elected official, but as a privileged member of the lobbying class pressing the flesh, making deals, and facilitating fat campaign contributions for the GOP. But, folks, you know what? They're, okay, look, have you noticed this? Have you realized? Okay, Alphonse D'Amato, all right? We mention that name on Monday nights a lot. Alphonse D'Amato is one of the bigger criminals that ever walked the halls of Congress. And that's saying something in the halls of Congress. He was a senator, but guess what? He's not anymore. But guess what? He's a lobbyist now. And guess who he put in there? Chucky Schumer. Yeah, who used to be a congressman who got kicked out of there, but now he's a senator. And he basically works for Al D'Amato. Folks, what has happened in Washington, D.C.? Are these elected officials that are in there have become nothing but talking head actors for the special interest lobbyists that control them? All right, this is not this is not just an isolated incident. As a matter of fact, there are less congressmen not controlled by lobbyists than there are ones that are. Okay, there there's hardly any that aren't. And usually they only last a term or two because they cannot sustain the onslaught of television commercials purchased by big-dollar lobbyists who can't control them, so they don't want them, so they fund somebody else. They write the laws, okay? They write the laws, and they throw them down on the desk of their puppet called a congressman and says, you're going to support this. So, many of these congressmen, look at, look at the, the recent class of retirees, Boxer, Feinstein, the list is getting fairly long of senators just deciding to pack it in. What do you think they're going to do? You think they're going to go sit on a beach and sip margaritas, huh? Is that what you figure? Well, I got news for you. They figured out that, hey, the real power isn't sitting in this seat. The real power is behind this seat. The real power, oh, and why? Because you're not accountable. You're not accountable at all. The little puppet heads up there calling themselves representatives and senators, oh, they have a certain amount of visibility and therefore accountability. But the people behind the scenes, the lobbyists, 
They have no accountability to anyone. And the Supreme Court just gave them a free ticket. Yeah, the e-ticket to Congress. Here you go. Spread out as much money as... Oh, no. Spread out as much free speech as you can. Yeah. I wonder why that happened. Oh, perhaps the Supreme Court's got its own set of lobbyists. Hmm? Anyway... He applies they're applying the rich with concert tickets, fancy dinners, and other assorted perks. Look at former White House Majority Leader. Oh, not White House. Sorry. Former House Majority Leader, right? This is the guy that lost his election. He was the House Majority Leader, okay? This is one step below the Speaker. Ancho, man. He got unelected. He got thrown out. His constituents didn't want him anymore. But Eric Cantor, he was defeated in a primary, okay? (laughs) And why? Because he made Eric Cantor's, uh, well, his debt to the financial industry essential issue of his campaign. Yeah, because Eric Cantor was a water boy for Wall Street. But, big deal. Turns out it wasn't that big. Eric's back, and Wall Street's got him. As the New York Times, Mark Leibovich wrote, just weeks after his primary fiasco, Cantor was the latest example of Washington's upward-failing golden parachute everybody wins calculus. Oh, yeah. Yep. And let's see here. Sure enough, September came came and went with it. News that Cantor was joining the Boutique Global Investment Bank Molis and Company, the Times commented when the announcement first appeared in the Wall Street Journal. Mr. Canner has no previous experience in high finance or investment banking. But the reason for his new job is clear. The Molis founder, Ken Molis, told the journal that he was hiring Mr. Cantor in part for his ability to open doors an admission that Mr. Cantor will now be paid to trade on the influence and friendships he developed as a House leader. Folks, what's going on here is the people are sending clowns to Washington, D.C., and Wall Street and other corporations are hiring the ones that lost to go in there and basically buy legislation through these clowns as if to prove that last point just a few weeks ago Cantor threw a party to open the new Washington office for Molis and the hobnobbing fun was intense there they all were toasting their boy Eric House Speaker John Bonehead the new House Majority Leader, Kevin McCarthy, 
Majority Whip Steve Scalise. Scalise, or whatever. Deputy Whip Patrick McHenry and Chair of the House Republican Conference Kathy McMorris-Rogers. Not to mention a few House Democrats and a handful of GOP senators. Yeah, a fellow member, a fellow former member of the Virginia Congressional Delegation, Tom Davis, told Politico, Eric will find very quickly that you don't have to be a member of Congress to be an influencer. He got one of the best Republican Rolodexes in the country. To that end, Cantor already has held a meeting and a meet and greet for Chris Christie in Richmond and given advice to Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker. What ex-members of Congress and their staffs do nowadays? Rarely do they follow the example of ancient Rome's Cincinnatus and go back to the farm or take that teaching job at the local university or join a hometown law practice. They stay in D.C. to reap the bountiful harvest that comes from Capitol Hill experience and good old-fashioned cronyism. Folks, this is going on right now, right here, right in front of you. But you might not care what goes on in Washington, D.C., because I really don't. I mean, honestly, I report on it, and it's good to stay informed. And, it, and, and staying informed is what brought me to my conclusion that I don't care what they write, I don't care what they say, as far as I'm concerned, the government in Washington, D.C. is illegitimate bunch of criminals, and they've got nothing to say to me, and I will not take their laws. Oh, you wrote it down? Great. Let me write down something, too. Because they both got just as much validity. I don't care what they do in Washington, D.C. They're a bunch of criminals. They're illegitimate. They are usurpers. But, hey, what happens to sales and unemployment when corporate profits fall? This might affect you. Corporate profits are back at the levels reached in 1990, 1999, and 2008. Do any of those years ring a bell with you? Hmm? You know what happened in those years, don't you? Yeah, yeah, those were the beginning years, supposedly, of recessions and sharp downturns in sales and employment. And folks, we can't really stand any downturns in employment because we have uh, our real unemployment rate is more like 30%. It's not 5%. That's a fantasy. That's the same fantasy as them telling you, oh, guess what? The national debt hasn't gone up in 21 days. <laughs> sure it hasn't. They stopped spending money. You can see that, can't you? Give me a break. It really isn't a surprise that corporate profits are falling. Gee, I wonder why. Oh, yeah, that's right, because unemployment is 30%, and nobody has a full-time job anymore because, you know what? It's even higher than that for full-time because, hey, people are out there with two part-time jobs, and that counts for two jobs. Yay! That's uniquely American, as that moron bobblehead monkey George Bush said. Not only is the stronger U.S. dollar crushing the overseas profits of U.S. global corporations when reported in United States dollars, but both the U.S. and global economies are slowing in other in other words, 
receding. Since corporations have slashed every possible cost to the bone in the past six years, slowing economies lead to lower sales, which lead to declining profits. Because have you noticed, folks? Less people at Walmart. You know, this is a really good thing because, you know, a lot of people, I, I know, some of you out there won't go into a Walmart. And I, I appreciate that. I do. But most people do. I do. Because, you know what, I don't. I don't have anything more against uh, Walmart than I do, oh, I don't know, uh, Best Buy or you name any other multinational corporation. Folks, I, you know what? They're all the same. But I'm going to go, what am I going to go instead of uh, Walmart? Target? Or am I going to go to Kmart? Or am I going to go to Mom and Pop and pay three times more for the same Chinese junk they're selling at Walmart? The days of, oh, well, Ma and Pa, they sell American, and these guys all sell Chinese is over because Ma and Pa can't get anything made in America because, I'm sorry, we packed up the plant and moved it to China or some other third-world cesspool. So the corporations have just started cutting people and telling them, well, you're just going to have to do more if you want to keep your job. That's why shelves aren't stocked like they used to be. This is why, you know, a lot of things. But there's there's only so much to cut. So you have to start cutting services, shutting stores. And, uh uh-oh, that puts more people out of work. And that's the snowball rolling down the hill. And it's happening now. Headcount has been slashed. Suppliers have been squeezed. High-interest loans have been refinanced. Underperforming stores have been shuttered. High-cost properties have been sold. There really isn't much left for corporate America to slash and burn to skim more profit. So what happens to sales and unemployment, oh, employment, when corporate profits start sliding? Now, well, I think you can guess what happens. So we got to go. We'll be back uh, tonight at 8 p.m., We've got a full day coming up between now and then, and as always, thanks for listening. have denied internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC ceased in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. 
no one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a caveman free-to-air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LMB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is a coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click the satellite system. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the superstore and order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulphur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Let me just preface 
what I'm going to talk about by telling you that, you know, I really don't care what a person is or what a person does. Okay, first and foremost, I believe that everyone should have a relationship with the Supreme Lord and that if you follow his standards and if you follow his teachings, then everything works out. If you do, you do. If you don't, you don't. And if you don't, that's between you and him and ain't got nothing to do with anybody else, okay? So, according to the left-wing media, the so-called anti-vaxxers, <laughs> that's what they're labeling the people that are against vaccines, the anti-vaxxers, are fair game for every kind of bigotry, hate speech, public shaming, and condemnation anybody can come up with. But the little kids that are harmed by vaccines, they have to suffer a lifetime of permanent damage. And that's totally ignored by the mainstream media. So, no, you're being told it's only important to protect the gays, the lesbians, and the transgenders, but not to protect the religious freedoms of parents who object to vaccine medical intervention for their children. The alleged right of the minority group of the little kids who are genetically susceptible or nutritionally susceptible due to mineral deficiencies to being damaged by toxic vaccine adjuvants, adjuvants are wholly abandoned. You have to understand that the vaccines that are given to little children today continue to be manufactured with aluminum, with mercury, with MSG, with formaldehyde, and with antibiotics. And you also have to know that if it's a little child who doesn't have the brain, the blood-brain barrier formed completely, all those toxins go through the blood-brain barrier and create neurological damage. So the contradictions that are now emerging from the local Indiana bashers are really unbelievable. You got Tom Cook, who is the openly gay Apple CEO, has condemned Indiana's religious freedom law as an attack on gays. Yet, his own company buys its products from the slave labor camps in China and then sells those products to the nation's that execute gays. So Tim Cook cares so much about gay rights that he's willing to publicly attack Indiana, but not enough that he's willing to boycott nations that execute gays, most likely because Apple still makes money from those nations and makes a lot. So Cook 
is precisely the same kind of arrogant, self-contradicting, finger-waving elitist who would almost certainly insist on eliminating religious exemptions for vaccines in California. Only gays and lesbians should have rights. This is what he implies. Not the people who choose to avoid the very real health risks of vaccine for personal or religious reasons. So his minority group should enjoy protection, but not yours. And that's the sickening contradiction now being repeated across the mainstream media and even by the late-night comedians like Jimmy Kimmel, one of the most unbelievably shameless bigots who openly mocks vaccine-damaged children and calls parents idiots for not having their children injected with toxic vaccines. So Kimmel, like almost everyone else in the leftist media, stands for no real principles at all. They just want their own agenda to win and to hell with any kind of principle. So when it comes to gays and lesbians, the progressives say, we have to stop businesses from discriminating against those people. But when it comes to parents who choose to protect their children from toxic vaccines, that principle is thrown out the window. And suddenly, the same progressives we have to support businesses who discriminate against those, those people. And so the real philosophical fraud of the leftist media agenda is exposed. It's not about protecting human rights. It's not about protecting human dignity. It's not about protecting minority groups. If it were, then the minority group of the anti-vaxxers would merit the same protection as other minority groups. No, no, no. The left only wants their minority groups to be protected, and all the other minority groups can basically go to hell. So at the risk of being widely attacked for standing on principle, I, I stick my neck way, way, way out and state the obvious. If we're going to promote any principle of protecting minorities, that principle must apply to all minority groups, not just the selected ones favored by the left-wing media. So if you want to live in a society that says businesses can't deny service to gays and lesbians, then we must simultaneously embrace the same rule that says doctors can't deny service to people who refuse vaccines. If we want to live in a society that says pro-choice women have the right to decide what medical interventions take place with their own bodies, which is a common abortion argument in the progressive circles, then we simultaneously must respect that same woman's right to say no to government-mandated vaccines. I mean, does it no still mean no? Or are we supposed to believe that it only comes to vaccines? Then no means yes. 
So how exactly does the left insist that abortion choice is a woman's right, but vaccine choice is not? The contradictions are beyond madness. They're fatal to the very credibility of the leftist media. So as you think about this, keep in mind that the very same media attacking Indiana over Religious Freedom Act is guilty of precisely the same thing they are condemning. Every one of those media outlets would refuse to run ads from vaccine skeptics groups who attempt to educate the public about the dangers of vaccines, the existence of the secret vaccine injury court in America, or the toxicity of the many dangerous ingredients still used in the vaccine. And those media outlets would deny service to a minority group because of that group's beliefs. In other words, yet they condemn a bakery in Indiana for denying service to a different minority group because of that group's belief. So the leftist media, in other words, stands for no principle at all. It's a constant gang that's run in an almost identical manner to your high school yearbook production squad, demanding protection for its favored minority groups while denying any rights or protections to other minority groups that doesn't like, such as religious minority groups. In Australia, there's venomous opposition to vaccine skeptics is like to militants that people who try to warn the public about vaccine dangers are denied all rights to free speech. You can't even educate people in Australia about real vaccine science without being threatened to death by the vaccine mafia operating there. So in the United States, the TED Talks group has banned all speeches that attempt to educate people about the dangers of genetically modified foods. Free speech is not allowed, it turns out when that speech threatens the profits of extremely powerful globalist corporations that have bought all the sciences and infiltrated academia, the media, and the legislature. So the most dangerous thing an American can do today is stand for principle. Why? Because it'll get you condemned. It'll get you ridiculed. It'll get you censored by Google. It'll get you slandered on Wikipedia, which is the corporate-controlled defamation encyclopedia that magically protects Hillary Clinton. It'll get you banned by YouTube. It'll get you suspended on Facebook, and it'll get you shamed on social media. So while we stand up for gay rights in society, that'll make you a hero in the eyes of the media. But standing up for religious vaccine extension rights gets you labeled a a villain. Never mind that they're both uh, based on the same underlying principles. So standing up for all individual rights and beliefs 
regardless of the place they occupy on the political spectrum, is the greatest crime of all in today's bigoted society. After all, isn't that a libertarian principle? And liberty must be crushed, crushed at all costs. So you need to learn to recognize bigotry in the media so you know what channels to turn off. And any media outlet that argues for gay rights day but opposes vaccine exemption rights is so bigoted and so intellectually dishonest, it's unbelievable. And any news channel says that abortion should be a woman's choice, but vaccines should be forced upon all women by the government, sold out its principle that stands for nothing except corporate agendas and government propaganda. So any lawmaker or TV doctor or journalist who says it's right for the government to force us all into its desired behavior on a medical issue, but it's wrong for the government to force us all into its desired behavior on a social issue, is speaking out of both sides of its mouth. The bottom line is we either respect individual liberty across the board, or we abandon it altogether. Every individual has their own individual right to choose whatever religion or sexual orientation they want. I might disagree with their choice, but it's not my place to demand that they adhere to my own personal version of what is correct or ethical. As long as people don't shove their agendas in my face, it's not my business to intervene in their private actions. You see, it's not our place to demand everybody else in society follow our own personal wishes. The mere attempt force majority beliefs on a minority group is, at its core, wholly racist, discriminatory, and bigoted from the outset. And all those who pick and choose what individual rights they want to attack versus support are basically admitting how bigoted and narrow-minded they really are, destroying their own credibility by admitting they really don't believe in principle at all. So the Apple CEO, Tom Cook, is a bigot who lives a contradiction. So is Jimmy Kimmel. So is every media journalist who's currently screaming about Indiana's religious freedom law while condemning the anti-vaxxers for not wanting to be forced to inject their kids with toxics. If tolerance is not universally applied, then it's not tolerance at all. So my only wish, or not demand, I can't say demand, but my wish to all of those critical of the Indiana law is if you want someone to respect your diverse beliefs and lifestyles and opinions, then stop attacking my beliefs, lifestyles, and opinions. You want to live in a peaceful, tolerant society? Then stop being such bigots against the minority groups 
you don't happen to like at that moment. Stop attacking my right to say no to vaccines. Stop attacking my right to grow food in my front yard. Start, stop attacking my right to have a place of worship in my private home. Stop attacking my kids' right to say a prayer before eating lunch at school. Stop attacking my right to own and carry a firearm in self-defense. Stop attacking home schools, small family farms, raw milk, southern culture, which the main, the left, left-wing mainstream media repeatedly and dishonestly refers to as being inherently racist or redneck. And stop being such an intolerant bigot yourself, and you just might find a sense of tolerance reciprocated for your own belief. After all, tolerance cannot be selectively applied, or it isn't tolerance at all. You see, that's what I always thought the United States was founded on. Right? <laughs> I mean, hey, I could see maybe got crooked politicians. I can see you've got the politicians that are paid off by the large corporations. I can see where the where the the, the country is turning into a government of form by the corporations, but does that mean that get bazookas and go down and blow up the White House or the or the Capitol? Or, the, or wherever the politicians hang out. No, it doesn't work that way. You can have dissent, and you can express that dissent in a rational way. Isn't, isn't that how it works? So if there's more people than politicians, then the people will have control over what politicians are politicians. That's why you have to vote. That's why if a person is running for an office, you have to say to them, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? And if you don't like the way he feels about this, and you don't like the way he feels about that, you go to the next guy. And if that guy, if you like what that guy feels, that's who you vote for. It's not rocket science. But this country is owned and run by the corporation. And this is the problem. It's a major problem, and, you know, I, I just don't know what people, um, what people do. I, I, I don't get it. But hopefully it'll work itself out in time, you know? So... The other thing that gets me, that really irks me, and I'm very vocal about, is that it seems that the only study on GMOs that are seen as safe are the ones that are done by the biotech industry and not the independent scientists. <laughs> So the general consensus on the safety of genetically modified organisms, GMOs, is that there is really no consensus at all, at least not among independent scientists 
looking honestly and unbiasedly at the issue. So a peer-reviewed evaluation of the cohort of published literature on GMOs reveals that nearly every study declaring GMOs to be safe is backed by the biotech industry. The rest, according to the researchers from the Rovira e. Virgil University in Catalonia, Spain, publishing their work in the journal Environmental International, presents serious problems associated with GMOs, including but certainly not limited to autism, obesity, liver failure, infertility, and cancer. And this, despite a mountain of public long-term animal or human toxicology studies, which would surely reveal even more dangers associated with GMOs. And the review, which evaluated the public studies on GMOs in the year 2000 and the year 2006, found that most of the studies claiming that genetically modified soybeans and maize, which is corn, are just as safe and nutritious as their non-GMO counterparts and were conducted by biotechnology companies responsible for commercializing those genetically modified plants. Meanwhile, those studies, still raising serious concerns about GMOs, were found to be conducted independently of the biotech industry. And this fact is never talked about in the mainstream media, which militantly denies that any legitimate science exists to contradict the GMOs are safe narrative. But then again, most major media organizations controlling the news today are backed by the same pro-GMO industry funding those biased pro-GMO studies as evidenced by their commercial sponsors. There is no consensus on the safety of genetically modified foods. Really, in a peer-reviewed study of the research from peer-reviewed journals found that about half of the animal feeding studies conducted in recent years found cause for concern. The other half didn't. And as the researchers noted, most of those studies have been conducted by the biotech companies responsible for commercializing the genetically modified plants. So just like vaccines, the war on terror and man-made global warming, GMOs are untouchable when it comes to any contradiction of the official story. We, the public, are told to accept only what the media and the government authorities say about each of those issues and to ignore anything else as a wild conspiracy theory. So in the case of both vaccines and GMOs, 
The official story is that the science is already settled. Vaccines are safe and effective. GMOs are safe and effective, period. There's no room for questions. There's no room for independent inquiries. Even if you're a toxicologist, a doctor, a scientist, or another professional who works in those fields and has extensive knowledge or insight into the science behind them, there are plenty of credible voices out there questioning the safety of GMOs, which is why the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation recently awarded a $5.6 million grant to Cornell University to depopularize the debate over genetically modified foods. And as explained by, what's the guy's name? Um, Timothy Wise, who is the director of the research and policy program at Tufts University Global Development Environmental Institute, the war on GMO critics, the goal is to silence and destroy all opposition to GMOs, especially when it comes from informed and highly educated scientists who know what they're talking about. So what we're seeing in the concerted campaign to paint the GMO critics as anti-science while offering no serious discussion of the scientific controversy that still rages. The consensus on the safety of genetically modified foods is perfectly clear. There is no consensus. Recently, in Hawaii, on my Hawaii show, I had uh, Dr. Stephanie Senna, who is a, a researcher at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, a PhD that is by far one of the most intelligent people I have ever encountered in my life. And this woman has found a definitive link between glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup, which is sprayed on all the GMO crops, and autism. And just like I said earlier, you take a synthetic chemical, put it in the body of a young child, the blood-brain barrier has not been formed. The synthetic chemical goes through the blood-brain barrier, goes into the brain, causes neurological damage, and you have ADHD or autism or a whole series or flu, a flu of who knows what kind of neurological problem. But yet, they pay everybody off. And when they pay them off, all the government officials, it gets approved. We had a situation here where the people on Maui decided they voted and they won in the vote that GMO planting would cease on the island of Maui. Perfect. People voted. Yet, the biotech industry appealed to people and they went to 
a federal judge. The federal judge has a wife that's affiliated with the University of Hawaii and other educational institutions. And she, on behalf of the University of Hawaii, accepted half a million dollar contribution from Monsanto several years ago. The judge put a ban on the people's right to stop the planting of GMOs. Why did he do that? To put it bluntly, he knew what his wife did. His choice, if he supported the people or didn't support the people, was based on the fact, do I want to continue to sleep with my wife or do I not want to continue to sleep with my wife? That is how I think he made his decision, and this is what we're up against. So what do we do? We are, we are contaminated by so many things, and yet nobody's got a clue. I was talking with a guy yesterday. He's got problems. He's got prostate cancer. He's overweight got an inflamed colon, and he's saying, basically, what pill can I take to fix this? Okay, what pill can you take? So, me, I, I just go back to what kind of fuel are you putting in a gas tank? If it ain't unleaded, you got a problem. So, I went back and I said to the guy, can you tell me about your diet? You know, I thought that was me first and foremost. Can can you tell me about your diet? What do you mean? I, well, I mean, what do you eat? <laughs> I said, either your body is going to be in an alkaline situation or it's going to be in an acidic situation. Alkaline builds. Alkalinity builds the immune system. Acid eats away. Plant-based is alkaline. Anything flesh-based is acidic. Well, I guess he didn't like that. And a lot of people don't because we go through life being conditioned one way or another, and then we get stuck on it. And it's the only way we know, and we don't know what to do about it. But the point is, if you know that certain foods build your immune system, and certain foods break down your immune system, it's not rocket science to understand what type of food you should eat to be healthy. Of course, there are exceptions because, hey, karma's a bitch, you know? You could be the healthiest guy on the planet, and you could die of some kind of heart attack or something. It's no different than crossing the street and getting hit by a bus. The karma is there, and there's nothing you can do about it. But while you're in your body, while you're growing, while you're aging, is it not more important to be less encumbered by debilitating diseases so you can go on and function in accordance with what your body will allow you to do without being hindered by medical intervention. 
I mean, it's simple. So if you do your own research, find out what creates alkalinity in the body. Find out what creates acidity in the body. I mean, I had, I, you know, I, I did my homework years ago. And I'm on, I've been on a plant-based diet. I did that on the whim, and I never looked back. And I'm still active athletically. And um, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting close to 80 years old. <laughs> yeah, I hate to even say that, which means I'm going to die sooner or later. But I could have died sooner or later when I was five years old because of karma, but you never know. So while I'm getting older, would it not be more beneficial for me to be able to do things that I like to do without being hindered or encumbered by medical problems. So for me, at 76, I'm in three softball leagues. And I swim and I hike and I do cardio and I do weight training and I, I do whatever I can do. And I don't have any illnesses and I don't take any meds and I'm nobody special. And if I can do this, why can't you? So. What did I do? I had asthma my whole life. Ever since I was vaccinated as a little kid. Inhalers. They were, they were my best friends. Even when I played ball in high school, I had to give them to the manager who came, you know, who the guy took care of all the athletes. I had to give him an inhaler to keep in his box because you never knew what would happen. And I couldn't breathe and I had to do this my whole life. Then all of a sudden, I come in contact with organic sulfur crystals, and in three days, my asthma disappears, and it's been almost eight years, and it has not come back. And let me tell you, there is nothing better in the world that you can experience than breathing every day without a problem. Now, that's just one thing. What about all the people that had stage four cancer that have been in remission for years just from taking sulfur. What about the 26 little kids that we know about that are no longer autistic? What about the people with Parkinson's and Alzheimer's that are no longer encumbered by, who are you, do I know you? Or the constant dribbling out of their mouth. I mean, it just, it's, it's the most, amazing thing I ever encountered. If you want to read more, you go to www.healthtalkhawaii.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-T-A-L-K-H-A-W-A-I-I.com, and you can read about sulfur. You can also read about the bee pollen, which protects against heart disease, which contains all the B vitamins, including vitamin B12, which includes all the 20 amino acids, enzymes, probiotics, everything. Okay, so me, I used to take tons of supplements. I don't do that anymore. I take four things every day, four things. I take my sulfur, a teaspoonful in the morning, a teaspoonful at night, okay? Then after that, I take a superfood called zeal, 
that has 30 superfoods in it. After that, I take a tablespoon of bee pollen. And then my breakfast is always a smoothie with a vegan chocolate Shakeology superfood that's got 42 superfoods in it. And I'll tell you, man, <laughs> it is amazing. I'm getting older, and I'm getting slower, and I can't hit like I used to hit when I was young, and I can't throw as far as I used to throw when I was young, and I can't run as fast, but I'm there, and I'm still doing it, and I'm not encumbered. And if I can do that, and I'm nobody special, then anybody can do that. So once again, you want to go to www.healthtalkhawaii.com and just click on products and you can read about stuff. In addition, there's tons of hundreds of radio shows, hundreds of articles, and it's there for you. That's why I do what I do, and that's why I'm on the radio, because I want to give out this information because People don't want to do it. They're only interested in making money. That's why you never hear about this in the mainstream media, because they don't make money from it. Nobody makes money from it. The only people who benefit are the people who do it, and they don't have to incur medical bills anymore. So anyway, anyway, um, we have science in this world that is unbelievable. And not long ago, there were advertisements that encouraged people to smoke and raise their kids on sugar-laden drinks, right? And the ads use really pretty women, cute babies, and doctors as the catalyst that would hopefully reinforce these disturbing messages. I remember when I was growing up, there used to be these ads showing a doctor that was smoking a cigarette with the headline saying, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. <laughs> and if that's not alarming enough, some magazines even show little babies alongside a smiling mother with the words saying, for a better start in life, start cola earlier. Can you imagine? I mean, seriously. So... While these headlines don't exist today, the overall message still exists. And this notion is prevalent when it comes to the lie that vaccines prevent disease. Seriously. Look, you know, it's not rocket science to be aware of the fact that there are those who continue to tout their beliefs, believing that vaccines are the answer to the world's health problems. But there's many people that don't even have a choice in the matter. Seriously. You take Oregon, for example. They made headlines when a bill was passed mandating, which is a real subtle word for forcing, parents to meet with a doctor for educational purposes in the event they opted not to have their little babies vaccinated. <laughs> Previously, all a parent had to do was simply sign a form if they wanted to opt out. Now they got to listen to why their kids 
has to have mercury and formaldehyde and aluminum and MSG and GMOs injected into their body. Well, thankfully, there have been people dedicated to showing otherwise, such as the industry whistleblowers that came forward about the health hazards of vaccines. And this includes scientists at Merck Pharmaceutical that actually admitted that their company tampered with test results, saying that the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine had a 95% efficacy rate when actually it was much lower. And still, their noses get bigger, just like Pinocchio, right? So now, the many prescription scribbling doctors and the big pharma advocates also think that all food is the same, that it can't serve as medicine. So the world of Western medicine, they want your business. And the health nuts, they run all over the place trying to hurt everyone together with a mentality that tends to use a one-size-fits-all approach for everyone. So we know that no herd is safe if they're consuming food that contains Agent Orange, right? Have you remember Agent Orange during the Vietnam War? They couldn't find the Vietnamese because they were hiding in the jungle. So they sprayed <coughs> the country with Agent Orange. And it killed all the foliage. And there they were. Meanwhile, the people affected, the Vietnamese and the U.S. people that were there, are still suffering life-term illnesses in their bodies from being exposed to Agent Orange. Now, they're taking 2,4-D, which is the active ingredient in Agent Orange, and they're spraying them on the cornfields in the United States saying, well, it's safe to eat, but you don't want to get the spray on you. Give me a spray. Are you serious? So eating food sprayed with this chemical is good? Sure, if you believe that, then you got to believe that the earth is flat that vaccines are wonderful and genetically modified foods are incredible because it's a terrific idea to put all kinds of chemicals and genes of organisms that dissolve insects inside into the seeds of vegetation that feed the conventional shoppers of the world. <laughs> so is your immune system confused? as to where to find those high-level toxins that seep into your blood. There's no such thing as fight or flight. Only come flying and a salute to that flag. Don't ever question authority and do not rely on food to save you. Only pesticides, only nicotine, only vaccines, only alcohol can be the answer to the upcoming food shortages the drought, the epidemic, and, of course, things like the flu. So go ahead, keep smoking those cigarettes, because the ammonia and the lead in them are found in the environment anyway, so they must be safe to inhale and put directly into your bloodstream. And please do not hesitate to get that flu shot, because injecting and bombing fluid into muscle tissue is the best way to build immunity. 
like I said, yes, the earth is flat. And all of those contagious and infectious diseases ended for mankind when people invented a way to inject them into our flesh and muscle tissue, bypassing normal immune reactions and defense systems like mucous membranes, saliva, lungs, skin digestion, and normal hormonal responses. So it seems that the most that most scientists and many other professionals have this limited mindset built on a foundation of lies. Sure, nobody tries to sail too close to the edge because you might sail right over. And while you're out there, careful because the Loch Ness Monster could consume your ship and you could never be heard from again. So you have to remember, cigarettes are good, the earth is flat, the vaccines prevent disease, and it's just common knowledge. Really. So smoke that free-based nicotine, eat chemicals and don't ever question why. There's MSG and thimerosal and mercury in vaccines. And do what your doctor tells you to do. And for heaven's sake, spread the word for the rest of the herd. But obviously, know better. And you know not to follow the lies that we've been told through the decades. We are up against, we are up against criminality and profit like you can't believe. And then we look at people, and we know that some people are very violent inside, but you wouldn't know it unless some fight breaks out on the street near them and you watch them react or not react. So people rubberneck at auto wrecks so they can see if there's blood and guts on the scene. And people cheer on fights and even rape, and those cases might not be as few and far between as the general consensus would estimate. So would you watch a public stoning of a mass murder in the town square if it was free and he was going to get the death penalty anyway by injection or electric chair? Do you have any pent-up frustration that just need airing out? And maybe that's why violent video games and violent action movies sell so well in America. I've been talking about vaccines. Yeah, they're violent, no matter what side you support. Whether you inject mercury, aluminum, formaldehyde in the muscle tissue that conjures up an unnatural immune fight or flight response, which always ends up with permanent central nervous damage, if not permanent immune system damage. And then thousands of parents have testified one settlement just for those reasons to the tune of $3 billion. So can you post an article or blog about it or even a tweet or a Facebook picture with a quote to see what happens? The retorts are abusive and violent. Why? Because people are scared to death of people who aren't trying to protect themselves with chemicals from infectious diseases, and they're not kidding for one second. They fear for their own lives and the lives of their little kids because the mainstream media, the American Moron Association, the Fraud and Drug Administration, 
unvaccinated children who caught those awful diseases and infected the vaccinated. Yeah, really, no, not really, but that's the thought-provoking propaganda message. And if any little kid dies from any infectious disease ever, it's always because some non-vaccinated kid gave it to him. But how? doesn't even make sense. Where is the fear justified? It's not, but brainwashing works and advertising works. And the MPs saying these things work. So now, after years of fear-mongering, people want the anti-vaxxers fined, arrested, and put in jail. Then they want the kids sold at auction by the Child Protective Services to the higher bidder or trafficked on the black market or kept in an orphanage with really all the other sick kids, quarantined, or better yet, at a FEMA camp. Yeah, so let's burn the witches. And who are the witches? The parents who don't go along with the status quo. So everyone else can have that warm, fuzzy, safety feeling they so long for day after day in their fabricated world of using chemicals to conjure up artificial immune reactions while they inject themselves with multiple genetically modified versions of the very diseases of which they're terrified of getting. So the flu shot tells you on the actual insert that it doesn't work and it hasn't been tested for safety. Still, you got arrested non-vaccinated parents because they're bioterrorists and their kids should be banned from public places until they're confiscated by the state for auction, right? So are you anti-GMO? And if you are, does that make you a bad parent? So what do we do? Do we burn the witches? What's the best way to kill a witch? Do you burn her or do you drown her? What's the best way to destroy a warlock or a vampire? Who cares? It's a rhetorical question. You don't go around thinking about destroying anything if you're civilized, you're educated, or spiritual. But then again, who's got all that going for them these days? The witches and the terrorists, they're all alike. They cast spells on people and turn them into toads or even stones like Medusa did. And the anti-vaxxers, they're not people. They're deniers of science and progress and safety, right? And most pro-vaccine fanatics would love for the government to publish the names and addresses of all the people who are not vaccinated and don't plan to be. That way, if Obama desires, he could go and bomb their houses and get rid of them and the threat they pose to society. Hey, come on, man. Measles and chickenpox are massive epidemics that kill millions of people every day. Well, so we should be afraid and just say yes to all the inoculations the government provides and enforces, including swine flu inoculation, bird flu inoculation, anthrax inoculation, MMR2, chickenpox, yearly flu, Ebola, HIV, and anyone and anything that anyone can catch from anything else ever. Why haven't they come up with a vaccine for the common cold? Are the doctors suggesting antibiotics yet? Is there an anti-autism injection that's got GMO corn syrup in it? Because the rumor has it that the high fructose corn syrup is great anyway. You can get it because it comes from corn. So if you disagree, you disagree with any of this, you're not a patriot. And you can be put on a watch list. You 
can be flagged at the airport is dangerous. But pulled over by police for no reason other than get a blood sample. How do you kill a werewolf? With a silver bullet? How do you kill a vampire? With a stake through the heart? How do you kill an anti-vaxxer? Hey, it's easy. Mercury lays vaccines. But should they all be injected in the town square with all 30 vaccines from the mandatory schedule and live on pay-per-view? And then all the proceeds should go to figuring out a cure for Ebola. Maybe you haven't heard, but there's been zero deaths in the USA from measles in the past 10 years. But 100 deaths from the measles vaccine that's been reported. You see, we're living in hypocrisy, folks. People want your money. They don't care if you live or die. Whenever you live or die, as long as you give up your money. And then when it's time for you to go, you go, but there's always someone behind you. You got to take responsibility. If you don't take responsibility, no one is going to do it for you. That's why I urge you to go to HealthTalkHawaii.com. Listen to shows, read articles, and if you don't believe anything you hear or read, Go do the research, and when you find the research backs it up, maybe you'll say, hey, maybe this guy knows a little bit something about what he's talking about. Oh, God, maybe, maybe this sulfur really works. Geez, why do I have to have joint pain all the time? Maybe it really works. And maybe the superfoods and the bee pollen really will build my immune system, and I'll be, I'll be resistant to what's going on around me. I don't know, man. See, I, in my book, Pain Diet in the Insane World, the last chapter was at the water hole. So, I, well, I so, I tell you that the water really feels good. But, you know, I, it's interesting. I have a son. But his girlfriend decided she wants to become vegetarian. So in about three weeks, she lost 13 pounds. And she's really happy. Now all of a sudden, my son is going plant-based. And within a month, that's supposed to be. She says, as much as I hate this, you were right. Hey, I'm just putting it out there. Anyway, guys, George Harrison told me it's not me to get my butt out of here, and I got to go. So remember, health talk, white.com, and you can't go wrong. Catch you all next week. Aloha.
Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. Organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Alfred Addis, and this is the American Independence Hour. Frank Steffen will be joining us. He's co-host on the program. He'll be here in a moment or five. I want to remind you that I am a man made in God's image as per Genesis 1, 26 through 28. I'm endowed by my creator with certain unalienable rights as per the Declaration of Independence, and I'm broadcasting from within the state within the borders of the state of Texas, a member state of the Perpetual Union styled the United States of America. Yeah, you know, if, if you haven't heard me do my little dance, I'm not going to do the whole thing again here tonight. But an important point, as far as I'm able to understand, that the United States is a different place, a different jurisdiction, a different plane of jurisdiction than the United States of America. We talk about the United States of America. That is the name of the perpetual union that was created by the Articles of Confederation in 1781, year of our Lord. That was five years after the Declaration of Independence. Declaration of Independence came in 1776, year of our Lord, as you know. Articles of Confederation came in 1781. Um, that created the first 
union and confederation of the states of the union. That union was subsequently improved by the Constitution of the United States, which says in the preamble, we the people of the United States, in order to ensure justice and tranquility and a bunch of other things, I can't recall the terms exactly, but it does say we are uh, and in, to make a more perfect union. Let me read it. We the people of the United States. And this is one of the big problems with the Constitution. The term United States has more than one meaning. In my opinion, when they wrote the preamble, they should not have said, we the people of the United States. They should have said, we the people of the United States of America. Now, I believe that when they wrote the preamble to the Constitution and they said United States, they meant the several United States because that's the only kind they had at the time. We didn't get into a singular United States, so far as I'm able to understand, until the 14th Amendment. Now, maybe that's right and maybe that's wrong, but it would have been so much better if they would have clarified what do they mean when they say United States. And I think, as I read it, I think, unfortunately, founders, not everybody knows what we mean by United States. I, it's like, it's like being going to college, knowing what the name of the mascot is or the name of the school this, the, the varsity, uh, the varsity football team. It's the Blue Devils, and we can call them the Blues. Now, and everybody at the university understands that the nickname we're going to use for the for the for the basketball team is the Blues. I, I maybe we'll call them the Devils. Or maybe we'll call them the BDs. And everybody knows in the college, and they can't imagine that anyone wouldn't know what. They, of course, everybody knows what the Blues means. But the truth is there's a world outside that college that doesn't know what you mean when you start talking about the blues. They don't know what you mean when you're talking about the devils. They might be able to guess a little bit, but they don't know. They're not sure. I strongly suspect that when they said, we the people of the United States, I believe they mean the several United States. They could not imagine that there would one day be a singular United States and it laid the foundation, their, their failure to specify the people of the United States. I believe that it would have been precise to say we the people of the United States of America, the entity created in the Articles of Confederation. I think that's the way it should have been done. Maybe there's something else going on there that I don't understand, but it's absolutely true. The term United States has multiple definitions. In the Hooven and Allison case, many of you are familiar with it, uh, they specified three possible definitions for the term United States, and the Supreme Court at no point said this is the only three possible definitions. They gave three different possibilities. I, can't, I don't recall exactly what they were. One, one is a sovereign nation, one is a territory, one is something else I don't recall. Well, it's up to us to understand what, what are we talking about when we say the United States. But I do understand, even though there is a certain amount of confusion when we use the term United States to this day, 
even for me. You know what the United States of America is. That term is in quotes in the Articles of Confederation. It created the Confederation, the first Confederation of the States. Prior to that, the Declaration of Independence created the 13 independent states that were as separate and distinct as France was from Germany. We did not create a union of those states until five years after the Declaration of Independence, where under the Articles of Confederation, said, okay, wait a second, we've got a problem here. We've got to work together. This isn't going to work. You be Germany and we'd be France and somebody else would be the equivalent of England and we're all separate nations. We've got to somehow work together to defeat King George. And we have to do that in the context of some sort of a confederation. And that's what they did with the Articles of Confederation. They brought the, the states of the Union, the states that had been independent countries, they brought them together as members of this perpetual union. And it does say it's a perpetual union, which means it's still here. It's got to still be here because it was declared to be perpetual. So while it is sometimes unclear what we mean when we talk about the term United States, it, there is, so far as I know, there is no confusion about the term the United States of America. Not United States of America, okay? The, in the, in the term, in, in the, in the, Articles of Confederation, it has that name in quote marks. The United States of America. It's the name of the Confederation and Perpetual Union. The Union's still here. We have a president who gives a State of the Union speech every year. Right? He's bamboozling, but nevertheless, they don't call it the State of the United States speech. It's the State of the Union. In theory, he should be talking about that Perpetual Union. He may not be, but that's what he should be doing. The whole thing gets confusing, and it goes to a failure on the part of the founders to be as specific as they should have been with the Constitution. There were some things they took for granted, and over the years, their failure to specify and define those terms, some of them, their failure to expressly define those terms has led to a lot of the trouble that all of us are experiencing with this system. One of the things we're going to get to tonight is the idea of what it takes to be a citizen of the United States and what that means. But before we get to that definition, we're going to deal with, what have we got here? Um, Title V, which deals with government, the United States Code, Section 552A, records maintained on individuals. We're going to talk about that because, among other things, this is one of those terms that has, I don't know, perplexed me for years, and I haven't been able to get a satisfactory answer. What is the meaning of individual? I see it all the time. I have suspected for years that it was not a good term. You didn't want to be an individual. People say, oh, are you the individual that said such and such? It was dangerous, but I didn't know exactly why. And Title V of the United States Code, Section 552A, records maintained on individuals. This confirms what I've suspected for years. I haven't really looked for the answer, but it didn't just fall in my lap either until just in the last couple of days. So, 
Our co-host is Frank Steppen. Frank, are you there? I am. Good. I am. Uh, and, uh, you know, you're, you're, the thing about, you know, the, the Blue Devils and that, you know, if the founding fathers, I mean, if you only have ever been at the University of, uh, you know, North Carolina or Duke University, whatever mm-hmm. it is, and, you know, and you never went anywhere else, and the only thing you know is the Blue Devils, to call them the Blues is, okay, fine. But if you ever leave there, and then you find out somebody says, well, man, that dude's singing the blues. Yeah, I know. You're going to go, huh? What? That's weird. But yeah. what's what the hell are they talking about? If you don't pay attention, you don't really care, you let it go by. You don't care. Okay, so look, singing the blues. Well, we all make presumptions. That's the problem. And they presumed. Sure. I think when the founders did this, I don't doubt they did the best they could. All right? But there are some things that were just not properly specified. Yeah, because they didn't, they didn't, I don't think they fully recognized the deviant yep. that was going yeah. to grow. In, I mean, they recognized tyrants were bad and, and, you know, kings could be, you know, become very bad and government was a dangerous servant. And they understood that. But I don't think they understood it to the point of where we're at. That well, but, you know, the, uh, the flip side on it may be that they really did understand what they were doing, and they couldn't imagine not just the circumstances would degenerate to the level they have for us, but also that we would degenerate to the point where most of us don't have a clue to what's going on in the Constitution. And I don't mean just most of us you know, in the patriot movement. I mean most Americans have never glanced at the Constitution. If you right. showed them the text of the Constitution and said, what the hell is this? It's a, I don't know, maybe the Communist Manifesto or something. I don't know what it is. You know, I mean, they don't recognize the document. They certainly don't understand it. And on one level, I don't blame them for not understanding. But I think the founders assumed we would always stay smart enough. At least have a basic understanding. You know, like, uh, like I was taught in public school, it was a minimal understanding of the Constitution. But I, I doubt they're teaching even that anymore, you know. I, they're not. You know, and it's now, not an accident. Why aren't they teaching it? Well, they don't want they don't want you to know. That's why. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because if you people understood it, the people in, the, in this country really understood the Constitution, it would be a lot harder for government to pull a lot of this country that wants to pull. And you know, the much easier pull a sheep, pull the wool over the eyes of an ignorant sheep than it is an intelligent, educated sheep. And on the hand of the, uh, you know, the founding fathers, you know, I'm not prepared to completely give them a free pass that it was just a mistake and all this, because it may not have been. I mean, I don't think they intended what's going on now to happen, but they were well aware that, okay, you have England, you have the King of England, but you also have corporations he made, like the the East India Tea Company. Mm -hmm. You know, and these were direct arms of the king. They worked for him, but they were not him. They were corporations. They were separate entities, but they worked in his benefit. And the United States kind of does that for the United States of America. Well, the question is, whose benefit does it? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Because when you saw, again, in the preamble to the, uh, to the Constitution, it says, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, uh, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for 
the United States of America. Mm-hmm. I think they're telling a lot of people think that's the proper name for the for the Constitution. They think that when it says Jordan established his Constitution for the United States of America, some people believe that's the proper name for this document, which is another oversight. They never named the document. Well, you know, if it's simply an amendment, why would they? I mean, you know, what what's the Fifth Amendment type? Well, what if they just – that's part of the point. Why don't – you know, they could have said uh, this Constitution for the amendment of the Articles of Confederation. Well, all right, then we know what we got here. That's true. I mean, but they by could have failing to give this thing a label where we said, what are we dealing with? Constitution of what? I think the proper name is Constitution of the United States because it did create an entity that is called the United States. Right. And I think the United States is distinct from the United States of America. I think they're two different entities. I don't think it actually has a proper title. I think it's just I know it doesn't, but it's just it there. You know, it's but just, a lot of people think that it says call it Constitution for the United States of America. They think the words Constitution for the United States of America is the proper name for well, the document. I don't think it is. I think they're saying we're establishing this Constitution for the benefit of right. the United States of America. And you know, now the thing is, it's it, it's when we look at this and go, gosh, you know, they shouldn't. Well, they might have at the time figured, well, everybody's going to know that. I mean, obviously, yep. duh, perpetual union. Here we are. The only authority we have is to amend this. So what else could it be? But they don't realize, you know, we're not going to know that 250 years later because nobody's telling us this, and everything's been obfuscated and and we've been lied to. It's just like the Second Amendment where they go. A well-regulated, well, you know, well-regulated to us means lots of rules. Okay, okay, you got lots of rules, and you got all kinds of. It's got to be this, it's got to be that. Well-regulated, but in their terminology, well-regulated meant well-armed and well-trained. You know, that's what it meant. Now that's totally different than what. If you ask anybody, well, what's regulated mean? What's well-regulated mean? I mean, yeah, they're not going to say well-trained and well-armed. They're going to say, well, lots of rules, you know, regulation. And the point to all of this is that the, it is so important to master the definitions of words. Sure. To become aware of this. This whole thing, again, I've said a number of times, you folks are not being oppressed by people with guns and clubs and tasers. That's what we're afraid of. That's what we see at times. But it's not about the guns, it's not about the tasers and the, you know, the chemical sprays or anything. What this is about is words. It's the whole You folks are ensnared by words. And if you want to break free, you've got to make it your business to understand the language. You've got to make it your business to get dictionaries and learn to love those dictionaries. And a lot of people say, uh, I don't get any damn dictionaries. I'm getting myself a gun. That's all I need is a gun. I don't need a dictionary. I need a gun. Well, and there's well we're point. telling you you need a dictionary. You well, know. you may need a gun. I get you. I'm not saying you don't <laughs> yeah, need yeah. guns. I, I never need a will. gun and a dictionary. But I'm saying the first order of business, if enough people in this country understood, made it their business to understand words and language besides how to order a Happy Meal down at McDonald's, uh, this country would be in a much better there's, condition. There's one but important thing, though, about dictionaries. Why don't you say the one? Okay, okay, go ahead. Well, it's the fact that you can't take a document 
from 1776 and use a dictionary from 1980. I agree. You know, you've got to use the right keys to the right lock. That's right. You know, or you're not going to get the correct understanding. My understanding is the closest dictionary that applies and the one that allegedly the government still relies on when they're contemplating what the Constitution means was the 1828 Webster's. Now, I've heard that, and I don't know if that's true or false, but I've heard it. It might be true. It's close. It's what? Uh, I kind of go to the 1850s. Roughly 50 years after the Declaration of Independence and, and uh, what, 87, 13, 28, something like 40 years, 41 years after the Constitution. Mm-hmm. It's be close. might not be precisely accurate, but the words are in a constant state of change. Yep. All right. So, and this is the key to the whole system. If you can, it's it's difficult and confusing and complex, and it's a little bit mind-boggling at times. But when you begin to understand definitions, it's not just difficult for you and me, folks. It's difficult for the judges, difficult for the lawyers, difficult for the congressmen. They don't want to get into this. And if you can raise issues that are based on definitions, you got these guys in a position, if you do it right, you can put the government in a position that is very difficult, challenging, and unpleasant for them to deal with. Let's take a break for our first set of commercials, Frank, and uh, Frank and I will be back in the American Independence Hour in just a moment. Please stay tuned. Assets are in paper, you are in danger. 
Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit discount gold and silver trading at dgscoins.com. That's dgscoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. I'm Alfred Asker with Frank Stefan on the American Independence Hour, and we are going to do more definitions tonight. And where we're going to start with this one is Frank. You wanted you had an excerpt you wanted to you want to do more definitions right now, or you want to take that excerpt you wanted to bring into the program? Oh well, let's see. We we can do more definitions because that's just that's just kind of a I found that really revealing and timely for what's going on in the world today. But it'll fit in anywhere. Let's. Let's stick with the definitions. Well, all right. Let's go with uh, to start with. I sent you copies, some of the text. I sent you two copies, two documents, and the first one we'll deal with is Title Five, United States Code, Section Five Five Two A, Records Maintained on Individuals. All right. This is Title Five is the government code. Describes the operation of government principles and a bunch of other things in there. I've, I haven't read the whole thing. That's by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I haven't read, I doubt if I've read 1% of Title V. But I'm a good one for going. Look, first section, if I'm going to read anything, I want to read the definitions. Mm-hmm. Right? If you can master those definitions, you can make the government squirm. Right? You can open See, they're, they are going to use words the way they want them to be used. They do that because they understand that the lawyers aren't going to raise any issues, because if they do, you're disbarred. They're not going to, yeah, you ain't coming back. You're not going to win another case anytime soon. And they know the public doesn't have brains enough to do it or enough education to do it. Or time. So they can presume the meanings of words. And the truth is, Virtually every word you find, you look in a decent law dictionary or any other kind of dictionary, and you'll see that it is standard procedure for words to have multiple definitions. You look up a defined word, look in the dictionary. It's probably got one, two, three, four, or more than, in any case, more than one, two, three, four different definitions for the word. You know, and you mentioned every case, but most cases. You mentioned individual, and I cheated and I've looked ahead here, but I didn't know this specific definition either, but I always knew I think there's something wrong with admitting I'm an individual. Yeah. And it's kind of like I got into the habit long ago without knowing why, really, just I think this is bad. I'm not going to admit to it. So when somebody, you know, well, are you the individual? No, I'm the man. Yeah, I agree. And and, then, and, you know, and I would say beyond that, I would say even then, man is 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 a big step forward. Sure. But it's, I would say I'm a man made in God's image. Mm-hmm. I do it as a habitual thing. It's part of the reason why I do it at the beginning of this program. I just get myself in the habit where somebody says, are you the individual? I said, no, I'm a man made in God's image. Yeah, I want to be in the habit. Thing. I want that spring-loaded in my mind where anytime, who am I? That's who I am. That's well, who I sure. am. That's and who I am. Especially now that, you know, I mean, like when I was saying this, I didn't know 
not only did I not know exactly why I thought individual was bad, I just thought, yeah. no, they, they're, they're using this as a trick somehow. Yeah. And the IRS code was what made me think that. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then, the, uh, and then later on here within the last, what, year, maybe two, but no, no more than that, you know, through your research with man and other animals. I didn't know that. Yep. You know, I thought man was man. I thought that was, hey, this is better than human. This is better than individual or person and all these things. I knew, no, I don't want to use those. Man, and then I come to find out, no, man's not, it's, it's like you say, it's, a, it's another step forward, but it's still not far enough, I don't think, either. And, yeah, yeah man, a man made in, in God's image is, now you I got don't see how that could go wrong. An animal. No. And you've got freedom of religion to back you up. Unless you it's say, a you know, a man made God, God of the Bible, of the Christian Bible image. You know, I mean, because uh, these people are freaks. So, you know, you well, never know. But, I mean, like, that too. I, well, that's that's the kind of problem that the founders had when they wrote the Constitution. <laughs> they, You know, you, you wonder how precise you have to be. Right. <laughs> and in retrospect, you go back, and after they throw you in the slammer, you think to yourself, you know, I probably should have been a little more precise in the word choice I had there than I than I was. I thought we could get through with a casual. Uh-uh. You were not sufficiently well, precise. Well, same we, thing with the founders. They look back and say, "Gee, we should have wrote this. We should have wrote well, that." I don't know. I think the, cre- the creed you have on your email is pretty precise. Yeah. Uh, and, and for those of you, I send out, I don't know, ten, fifteen, twenty email a day, responding to people that send to me, write to me. Not, I certainly don't respond to everybody. I write, get a couple hundred email a day, typically. I can't, I don't, can't respond to everybody, but if, but in many instances, I do. And I have a creed on that, and we'll talk about. It. Maybe we'll talk about that on one of these programs. The creed tells people the, essentially the terms of my email, and it tells them, look, I'm a man made in God's image, and it tells them I'm working within the borders of the state of Texas, and I've spread that out. The creed has evolved over a period of time. The creed I'm using today is not precisely the same one that I was using, say, five years ago. All right, it has evolved. It started at one point, you add things, you subtract things. It's been constantly improved, in my opinion. But it's, I like this creed because I'm not just sending it, I send an email to Frank. I send it to anybody who's got the creed on it. All right, they understand who I am and where I'm coming. And it creates certain rights for me and liabilities for other people. Right? And some parts of it create liabilities. They say, hey, watch what you're doing. This guy is, you know, he's got a, he's like a porcupine. He's got a bunch of spines here, not easily handled. Operating on the assumption that the National Security Agency is spying on all of us and capturing our email, every time I send one of these out, I'm giving them notice. I'm giving the government notice of who I am, what I am, where I am. If push comes to shove, somebody's going to have to say, oh, we were never spying on you, Mr. Addis. We didn't read any of your stuff. We didn't listen to any phone calls. We didn't, we didn't read any of your email. Um, you know, we're just, we're just going after the average, you know, good old boy, but not you. We never read. Now, they got notice. They have notice. I've sent out, you know, do 15 of these a day for for a year, you're talking 5,000, 6,000 of these notices that have gone out a year. Somebody had to pick up on this. 
And they can't just sit back, well, we had no idea that he defined himself. Yeah, I did. I defined myself. And in a way that suits me. So let's get into this Title V, five, USC 552, and records maintained on individuals. And it starts out with a Section A is definitions, and they have a total, I think, 13 definitions that they that they deal with here. Yeah, we've got 13 definitions in, in subsection A. We're not going to go into all of them, but we'll get a couple of them. They define agency. But they say agency is defined in Section 552E1 of this title. I haven't looked it up yet, haven't had time. I will. I want to find out what they say about agency. That's the first term defined. I want to know what they mean by an agency. Because I want to find out how that's defined ultimately to deal with things like the Internal Revenue Service. Is it an agency? Does it meet the definition of agency? And if it doesn't, does it mean the IRS can't collect income taxes? Lawfully? Depends who you are, I think. You know, when they say here we have definitions, A, the term agency means agency is defined in Section 552E. I'm in 552A. We want to get to 552E to get the definition of agency. Does that tell you anything, Frank? Anything to you? Well, not as suspicious as I am. They're hiding something? That's my... If they say agency means... Agency is defined in another section. It's almost like they're betting you're not going to look for the other section, right? And if you do, it'll be hard. I mean, I want to see that section. I just dug this stuff up today, so I haven't had a chance to do this yet. But all by itself, I look at it and I mark it in a way that says chase that down. I find it because they're not making it instantly available. And that automatically, any time I see something that's not instantly available, I'm thinking to myself, I think they might be up to something here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's what, I mean, I always think they're up to something, but this may be, you know, one of the elements. In any case, we're not going to do agency tonight, but it's their first definition. Their second definition is individual. And it says the term individual means a citizen of the United States or an alien lawfully admitted for permanent residence. Well, first, if the government identifies you as an individual, you are a citizen of the United States. That's code for citizen of the United States. And it's probably code, you know, again, here we have the United States. Which United States? Are you a citizen of the territory of the United States, of the sovereign United States, of the several of the United States? Which one? They're not telling you. Right? But there's liabilities associated with being a citizen of the United States. If I were going to identify myself in relationship to any entity, I'm going to say I'm one of the people, not one of the citizens, I'm one of the people of the United States of America. Or... I'm one of the people of the state of Texas, which is the proper name for the State of the Union, so, in the, so far as I'm able to understand. Not one of the citizens. I think they have, I think that term includes a certain amount of liability. And part of the reason for that, here in another document, you haven't seen yet, Frank, 
Um, someone wrote a document called the American Citizenship Question versus Citizen of the United States. They're looking at the same problems we are talking about. They're coming up with their own interpretations. They list a number of quotes. One of them says there is a political system, a government of each of the several states, and a government of the United States. Each is distinct from the other and has citizens of its own. That's the United States versus Crookshank in 1875. To be a citizen of the state of Texas is one thing. To be a citizen of the United States is another thing. All right? And depending on where you are, it determines your rights, determines your, your obligations and duties. Here's another one from Jordan versus Tashiro, 1928. There is a clear distinction between national citizenship and state citizenship. Right? 1928 case. And here's the one that rings, rings the bell. This is from U.S. versus Valentine. I don't have a year on this, but it's 288, Fed's up, 957. Uh, I've downloaded the document. In fact, I could look and see right now if I wanted to. United States versus Valentine, 1968, fairly recent case. Right? Um, in that document, it does say, the following quote actually appears in the document. I downloaded it, but I haven't, I've only had a chance to skim it. I haven't had a chance to read it closely. It does actually say, the only absolute and unqualified right of a United States citizen is to residence within the territorial boundaries of the United States. All right? Now, here's the problem. I'm going to read that. We'll get back and we'll do that again. We'll read that, we'll read that another time or two and consider it. But, where was I going? It's telling us that if you're a citizen of the United States, or within the territorial boundaries of the United States. For me, that is consistent with an idea we've explored on this program a number of times when we talk about the difference between the state, meaning a state of the Union, and this state, which is apparently a territory or a territorial state or a, uh, an administrative district of the United States. We believe, I believe, that we've got two different planes here. At least. Yeah, at least. <laughs> yeah. All right? But according to this, this statement in U.S. versus Valentine, the only absolute and unqualified right of a United States citizen is to residence within the territorial boundaries of the United States. They, they use that what about residence. Yeah, I know. Residence takes us back to the 14th Amendment, territorial boundaries of the United States. This is a national United States they're talking about here. We're maybe in a territory where they're close to saying that, and we are not, it does not apply to states of the Union. Now, when you read that, do you, do you think that when you admit any kind of, you know, numerous different places where they ask you, are you a resident? Yep. When you say, yeah, I'm a resident, you're saying by that you are a United States citizen and you abide in the territory. Not I'm the saying that that would be the presumption unless someone asks you are you a resident and I might answer that I am a resident of the United of the state of Texas. 
a member state of the perpetual union, and they're expecting you to just say, yeah, yeah, I'm a resident, yeah. I'm no dummy. I know I'm a resident. You know, it's oh, good because people Res- believe resident means I just, you know, I'm this is where I live. But now through the driver license issue that I was involved with for a lot of years and did a lot of research into that, resident is a whole, is a whole. It's it's like well regulated. Yeah. Okay. I mean, people have an idea of what they think it means, and it does mean that in common terminology. Yep. Yeah, a residence. My residence. It's where I live. It's my domicile. It's my yep. house. And they think it's innocent and harmless, but it it doesn't mean that in the law. Okay. You know that's why they have separate law dictionaries. Yep. That you know, and residence. Not a separate law dictionary. No. The blacks they bring out a new one right now. Every five years they bring out a new dictionary. True. Yeah. And then different words. Some this from some words disappear. Some are added. Some are redefined. Well, and the reason why is because all these laws they're always making laws, and every law they make in the U.S. Code comes with its own set of definitions. Yep. You know, and they change those, so they you know they have to come by and go. Well, okay, we got to change this or or. We're you know, this is not what that one says, so we got to change it. So, you know, it's confusing, but they're, they're not just doing it just because they got nothing better to do. They're they doing it because the actual definitions in the laws are changing. You know, you know, one of the greatest things we could do in this country is compel the government to set up a standard set of definitions for the major words they use. And then every single time you use it, you can't say we're going to this time mean, mean we mean one definition. This time we mean, mean another definition. If you're going to have three definitions for the United States, whenever we use the term United States, we have the United States, and in parentheses after it, we have one. And the next time we have a different definition, the United States, parentheses after it, two. Signal we're using the second definition. And the United States, parentheses three. The signal we're using the third definition. Well, um, that would take all the fun out of it. It would take the confusion out of it, too. <laughs> yeah, but the United States meant the United States. Every time you looked at it, it meant the same thing. It doesn't. You know, if you look at some of the definitions when they define states. Yeah. Right? Sometimes the definition of states includes Washington, D.C., and the District of, and uh, Puerto Rico and the, the Virgin Islands and Guam. And other times it only includes Washington, D.C., or it may include some other territory, but not Guam and Puerto Rico. I will bet you that if you went through the code and compared every definition of state that's available in the different sections of the code, I'll bet you you can find five or six different definitions of state. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. At least, again, you know. At yeah, least, no. and it could be 20. Hey, because the U.S. Code is a pretty uh, lengthy thing. And, you know. So, and all of these, it's not bad enough you have to read the legalese and try to make sense of it. You've even got to study definitions, which, you know, average person just thinks that's crazy, can't do it. But I'm telling you, that's where your power is if you care to have any. Getting into the definitions. Why don't we take some more commercials right now, Frank, and be back to talk more about individuals.
countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be dependent on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free to air satellite system from ADR. The ADR system includes a receiver, an LMB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click the satellite system. Beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. United States citizen, citizen of the United States, 
What's the big What's the big motivation? Because I I think I think it's like going to hell. You've got to volunteer. Yeah, that's part of it. You're presumed to go to hell. You're presumed to volunteer if you're going into hell. You've got to make the choice to go. They can't just you know come up and point a pitchfork right, at you and say you're going. You've got to volunteer by your conduct. You know you can be saved. You just have to accept. You know, but people won't accept the truth. Yeah, I know. You know, the truth of the matter is this is. This is these things are going on, and people, ah, it's crazy talk. You're, you're just playing word games. I've heard all this, and it's like, well, okay, maybe so, but uh, that's the game. You know, so, it's, yeah, okay, I'm playing word games, and, 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 and if I'm in the game and I don't play the word games, then what? You know. Well, then you've got an uphill fight. You've got an uphill battle going on. Um, they're going to try to get you into that game, and if you don't want to go in, you have to be careful or somebody's going to send you to a loony farm or something like that. But this guy must be crazy because he's not a citizen of the United States. You've got to be prepared. If you want to make that argument, you can't just say what you're not. Right? You can't prove right. a negative in any case, but you can't say what you are. No, and you can you also ask a lot of questions. Yeah, start out what with do a bunch you mean? of questions. You know, and when they go, what do you mean, what do I mean? What are you, crazy? What do you mean, what am I, crazy? There's, what, at least three definitions for this. There's four definitions for that. There's Which one do you mean? Exactly. And that's, you have to be prepared. You have to have enough education. Self-education is where it comes down to this. You won't learn this in schools. You're going to have to have enough self-education to get, to discover some of these to reach a point where you believe that some of the allegations and claims we're making here are valid, and then you're going to have to have enough courage to stand up in front of the judge and say, no, here's my argument, here's this, that, and the other, and the judge is going to come back, and you're going to have to be able well, to I'll tell you what, when, when you say, what do you mean, and he wants to treat you like you're some idiot, crazy person, and you say, well, what do you mean, uh, crazy, and what do I mean? There's three different definitions, and you start quoting off, where that's from, that's when his face gets red and he gets angry. Yeah. So you better get, you better be ready for that and, and not be, get ready not to be intimidated. What makes him angry? Well, the fact that you know this and you basically nailed him to the wall because he's, he, there's no, <laughs> their game. He now has, he is in the position of somebody who's got to use the pitchfork to force you into hell yeah. without your consent. Being a judge is an easy job if everybody agrees to what you're talking about. Sure. But when somebody stands up and essentially says, screw you, all right, here's what I say, and I don't agree with you, judge, that judge has to become a brute and a tyrant, and he may not want to assume that role. Much happier if everybody just cooperates and, you know, we'll just agree well, with I'm not judge. sure he's able to assume that role because, you know, somewhere along the line, that's not going to stand. I don't think. I mean, yeah, okay, in, a, in certain circumstances, you know, they'll just maybe kill you outside this courtroom or something. Who knows? You know, I, I'm not saying 100% of the time that's it, but for the most part, you know, if you can say, look, uh, what do you mean? And they go, oh, what are you, crazy? Do we have to have a psych evaluation? Or yeah, what exactly. You? And, it's like, and no. at that point in time, you need to articulate. Yes, you do. Whatever it is. You can't just... If you're just listening to Frank or myself and you've picked up a few tricks and you think you're just going to play those tricks like a get-out-of-jail-free card in, in a courtroom, <laughs> it's probably not going to work that way. 
Well, you get you throw down the get out of jail free card. I get that. We start with that. And the judge says, well, what jail are you talking about? Uh, uh, if you go, <laughs> I don't know, guess what? The get out of jail free card is not going to work. That's right. I and I've seen I've there's seen. levels of these cards, and you got to have all of them put together. There's I mean, levels. I've actually witnessed judges ridicule people into submission. Yeah. You know, and, and these are smart people that thought they were prepared. Yep. I thought they were prepared. Yep. But I, I I'm, I'm at least open enough to learn from those situations I saw to say, okay, uh, maybe you're, you know, you're not prepared unless, you know, you are. And you may not find out that until you're there. Yeah. You know. But next, you know, but one other point. Who really learns how to deal with this system until their ox has been gored by the system? I don't learn. If somebody beats you up, Frank, I don't learn anything from it worth mentioning. I might know, well, uh, you're not going to catch me walking around the dark up there in Oregon because I don't know what happened to Frank. Well, you know, it's not that big a deal. But if I take a thumping, <laughs> I, now we've got a lesson. And it's unfortunate, but that's the way that, that's the way people operate, which means that the people you saw that got railroaded by the judge, that won't happen a second time. Not to them. No. They now they okay, okay, I get it. This is brass knuckles. This is not just fisticuffs, this is brass knuckles. All right, and they're gonna be ready the next time. Well this you know what the strategy is though? You have to learn things That's in a perfect world with people who are dedicated, uh, more than most people are, because too many times, uh, and I'd say the majority of the times, what ends up happening is going to court, they think they're ready, they think they're prepared. Yep. I, I thought they were. I thought, man, these guys got it down. They get there, different things happen. Sometimes the judge yep. ridicules you into embarrassment where you're going, blah, 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 blah. I can't, oh, well, get him his orange suit. You know, whatever. And people walk does it, off. Does, it come, does, the, does the orange suit come with cufflinks or anything like that? Does it, uh, no, free, free coffee, though. Free coffee. Once a uh, day. No. <laughs> the thing is, Instead of going, okay, I, I'm learning from this, and that I won't make that mistake again. Yeah. People walk off, and they go, well, I did everything right. I'm the smartest man in the world. I right. know everything, right. and this system must just be corrupt, and there's no use in trying. And they give up, and they basically, they don't, they don't pursue anything anymore. You know, that's and, and one thing. Some people lose their nerve at least for a while, and they and they bail out. Um, I think I think once you begin to see this stuff, and you you develop a sensitivity to the kinds of ideas we're we're exploring here. Once you do that, I've used the analogy for a long time. It's like being hit between the eyes with a two by four, and for the first time in your life, you begin to see in color. <laughs> Prior, used to see just in shades of gray, and now all of a sudden you see in color. You see the bright red of injustice. You can't stop seeing it. Once you begin to see it, you can walk right by it for years. Your ox gets gored, and all of a sudden you say, wait, wait, there's injustice. You won't believe it. I've seen injustice. You come to find out, yeah, it's all over. Yeah. That's happening all the time. It's not a big deal. It's you a know? business. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, these guys are making billions of dollars off of it. I understand that. And you are customers. 
Yeah, all right. You think of being people think of the word citizen, and that's one that's one of the things we're dealing with. The individual, if you agree to be an individual, you agree to be a citizen of the United States. If you're a citizen of the United States, the strong probability is this means you are subject to the jurisdiction of the federal government. You are living in what is an apparent territory and where they have absolutely, they can do anything they want within the territories. They have limited powers. We hear that in the, in the Constitution. They have limited powers in Article One. Where do they have limited powers? They have limited powers in relationship to the states of the Union. They have unlimited powers in relationship to the territories and states of the United States. And if you can't make the argument, no, I'm down here in the Union. I'm one of the people. Okay? If you can make that effectively, in my opinion, you may be able to hold these people off and deny that you are subject to their unlimited powers. But if you can't make that argument, then guess what? You just said, oh, yeah, I'm an individual. Great. <laughs> now we're going to just stick your head over here so we can smack him. Bailiff? Smack him on the head with that. You take that stick and wrap him on the noggin a couple of times. And right. he might watermelon. You know, Something's watermelon there. And this like is that. the thing about listening to stuff and, and, and not doing your own research because you might hear this and say, okay, go, all right, uh, you know, you're an individual. No, I'm not an individual. Yeah. Uh, okay, great. Are you a resident? No. Yeah, yeah, sure, I'm a resident. Ding, 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 ding. You just did the same thing. Here's another thing. You're. You are charged with a particular offense, and you read the relevant law at the, at the state level or perhaps federal level. You read the relevant law, and the law maybe includes the word individual. Yes. Okay, this law applies to all individuals, any individual that does such and such. Well, now if you understand that under Title V, Section 552A, individual means citizen of the United States, if you are now a perhaps, I won't say that this is going to work, but it's going to make them roll their eyes. You're going to have to be a deputy. Well, it's, just, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card, but you come back and say, no, I'm not an individual. Well, that law only applies to individuals. I'm not an individual is defined over here. And they say, wow, we just mean that we just mean, you know, individual man or woman. Well, fine. Once you get them into these arguments, it is a swamp. It is yep. a morass. Nobody wants to fight in a swamp. But that's what's going on with definitions. Yeah, it, it is. You can become adept. You become, you know, kind of a guerrilla soldier or something like well, that. Well, the whole thing is, I mean, once you get them, well, okay, what do you mean by that? You know, uh, well, uh, you know, they don't, they don't want it to. Because, exactly. you know, I think half the time they don't know what they mean by that. No, they don't know. The people you're dealing with don't know. And when you can, and if you can show them again with questions early on before you get to court, you show them. Well, when you use the word individual, did you mean individual as found in Title Five, Section Five Five Two A? Is that the kind of individual or something else? Yeah, yeah. And then you be able to find other definitions of individual. Which one did you mean? Yeah. And if you can get this early enough before you even get to court and ask these questions, you can drive them right out of their minds. I think we have to. Well, it's it's time to top of the hour, Frank. Yep. So, we'll, all right, whatever you're going to do, we'll be back in a moment for the second hour of the American Independence Hour. I'm I'm Alfred Adams, and here with Frank Stephan, and we'll be back. Please stay tuned.
have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com. And then to the superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one-pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit, toll free, 866-229-3663, that's 866-229-3663, international callers dial 704-875-8010, or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. 
protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Folks, I'm Alfred Adams here on the American Independence Hour with co-host Frank Steppen. We're talking about the definition of individual as found at Title V, Section 552A. It turns out that an individual means a citizen of the United States. And we referred back to a case called U.S. versus Valentine, which tells us, which includes the statement, the only absolute and unqualified right of a United States citizen is to residence within the territorial boundaries of the United States. Where are the territorial boundaries of the United States? The United States doesn't have any territory within the states of the Union, or at least it doesn't have much. But if you're in a place that has a zip code, you want to use that zip code, I'm convinced that the zip code is within the United States. It's not within the United States of America. Uh, if you admit to being an individual, if you admit to being a citizen of the United States rather than one of the people of your state of the Union or one of the people of the United States of America, if you're going to well, say, are you the individual? Say, yeah, I'm the individual. You think it's harmless? You don't realize this is like bait. This is like a hook with a worm on it for a trout. They say, are you the individual that did such and such? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as you admit you're the individual, I believe, I can't yet prove it, but everything indicates to me that you have conceded that they have virtually absolute authority over you, and they can kick you around any way they want. So if you can, on the other hand, if you sit back and say, no, I'm not an individual, man made in God's image, endowed by my creator of certain unalienable rights, and everything I did in, in this in relationship to this particular alleged offense, everything I did took place within the borders of the state of Texas, or the state of Missouri, or whatever, the state of the Union. You get that on the record. You've got yourself, in my opinion, some traction. It doesn't mean you're guaranteed to win, but it means, in my opinion, that you have a chance. You know, we were talking earlier, this is a little bit off, I'm going mean, to just go down a rabbit trail while we're, while we're while we are dealing with these other rabbits, I'm going to go, instead of following the rabbit trail we're just following, I'm going to follow a new and improved rabbit trail, which might even lead me to a third rabbit trail, but we're going to do a little rabbit trail here just as, for the sake of argument. There is a document, we talk about it from time to time, it's come to be called the Preamble to the Bill of Rights. 
You can research this yourself. You can type preamble to Bill of Rights. Google it, and you'll get this document, and it's a government document. This isn't, a, this isn't something I created or somebody else in the patriot community or legal reform. This is a government document. It is the cover letter that accompanied the first 13 or 17 amendments that were proposed in this country. And it explains the purpose for those amendments. And if you read it, you understand that purpose. It's to prevent the people of the states of the Union from the government. They sent this cover letter out with the proposed 13 amendments, I believe. Somebody else has told me 17. I think it's 13. But in any case, they sent it out to the states in 1787, and the states uh, sent it out in 1789, excuse me. And the states ratified. Uh, ten of them, and those ten became the Bill of Rights. Now, you're talking about the confusion we're dealing with. Here are two paragraphs from this document, the last two paragraphs. It is resolved by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America in Congress assembled, two-thirds of both houses concurring that the following articles be proposed to the legislatures of the several states as amendments to the Constitution of the to the Constitution of the United States. They're telling us the proper name for this document is Constitution of the United States. All or any of which articles, when ratified by three fourths of that said legislature, to be uh, to all intents and purposes as part of said Constitution. These and then they go on. Here's the next one, <laughs> and it says articles in addition to. An amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America, proposed by Congress and ratified by the legislatures of the several states pursuant to the fifth article of the original Constitution. In two paragraphs, the founders referred to both the Constitution of the United States in the first paragraph, and in the second paragraph they referred to the Constitution of the United States of America. This is simply confusing. In my opinion, what's, what do you think? I've heard me say this before, Frank, and you may recall, or maybe you don't. What do you think the Constitution of the United States of America is? Oh, I would say the, uh, well, Articles of Confederation. Yep. Why? Because the Articles of Confederation created or constituted an entity called the United States of America. It says so. This is the name of the entity. Yeah. And technically, the, the Articles of Confederation is the proper name for the document, but it functioned as the Constitution for the United States of America. See, that's the thing. I, I think... Constitution for the United States of America, or the Constitution of America, you know, for the United States, is is more of a description than a title. Well, it may be. In other words, a real title on this thing. And again, here we have their cover letter refers to both the Constitution of the United States of America and the Constitution of the United States. But at is the time, it any wonder that we get confused? But at the time they wrote that, wasn't there only one? Was there more than one then even? 
you know, was there a con- was, 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 was there the United oh, States of America and the United States, or was yes, there were yes, they the I same there, thing? I believe that's exactly. True. And the reason I think that's true is because if you read the Articles of Confederation, it only provides for states of the union. There's no proviso for a district like Washington D.C. There's no proviso for territories within the United States of America. Well, you know, a territory if you're in Washington D.C., you're in the United States. You know, there is a certain amount of evidence within the uh, this. I, I mentioned this book. Uh, it's really the minutes, uh, but it's called the Secret Proceedings of the Constitutional Convention, and it uh, the minutes taken by uh, Chief Justice Yates of the New York Supreme Court, and there were delegates that did stand and say, we were credentialed to come here to fix two things, to amend the articles, not create another form of government. It's true. So they were aware they were creating another form of government in the Constitution. Now, I'm not sure that and, and the way it looks is they knew that, well, we can't actually do that well, where we are. We'll have to create something else, and we'll leave this here. We won't, you know, hey, we're not changing this form of government. It's here, but we're going to create another thing, and we're going to overlay it. And it's going to be, uh, you know, it's it's deception, actually. For, you know, really, the way that it's done is deception. I think the difference what between the United States of America and the government for it and the United States and the government for that, I think it might be, catch a glimpse of it, maybe in Article 7 of the Constitution, which says the ratification of the conventions of nine states shall be sufficient for the establishment of this Constitution between the states so ratifying the same. I think the Constitution of the United States was only intended to deal, it was to be an intermediary between the states of the Union. Um, But it only dealt with the states. It didn't deal with men and women. I think, and I can't prove it and I may be wrong, that the states of the Union are the only ones that are actually tasked with the obligation to protect your God-given unalienable rights. I don't think the Fed ever had that obligation, the federal government. I don't think the federal government was ever obligated to protect our God-given unalienable rights. It was they, they had to deal with the states rather than the people. That's my drift, and I'm not sure that's true. I'm just telling you something that I suspect to be true. But the one thing I know is there's no proviso for Washington, D.C., or any districts in the United States of America. There's no proviso for territories. And that was the big difference. There are territories in the United States. There is a district that has come to be called Washington, D.C., in the United States. The United States can have districts and territories. The United States of America cannot. It's arguable that the United States may be only a territorial entity. We've just lost sight of the United States of America, and 
Insofar as we don't speak up for it, don't defend it, don't understand it, don't recognize it, don't learn about it in our history books, it's being deleted from the memory of most of the people in this country. They don't know. Uh, but the whole thing, it is confusing. Even though some of the ideas that we try to explain on this program, we may be wrong. Right? We're not here to give you gospel, per se, or at least I'm not. We're here to give you questions that are credible, reasonable. We're looking at something that says talk, talk about Constitution of the United States, and then it talks about this is the Congress. In two paragraphs, they talk about the Constitution of the United States, and the next one they talk about the Constitution of the United States of America. Okay? what are Which Constitution are we dealing with here? All by itself, that's a question as difficult and confusing it is for me and for Frank and for you folks in the audience to deal with that. I guarantee you the government doesn't want to deal with it either. They don't have pat answers that they are willing to hand out and tell us what the truth is. So we are left to grope around in the dark and come to our own conclusions. And maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. But we're just telling you these are questions that if you grasp you know, what we're talking about here, you could ask these questions, and they can't proceed against you until they've answered all of your questions. If you answer those, if you ask those questions early on, we send you a notice, you respond with questions. If your questions are good enough, somebody's going to say, "Get rid of them." I don't know what the, I don't know what this guy's talking about, but we're not going to we're not going to chance taking this in front of a jury. And you're going to ask these questions when you get to court. You're late. Going to court, you probably, you probably, most of, most of what takes place in court right now is a sentencing hearing. Think you're going to be tried. No, you're not going to try. You're going to a sentencing hearing in most instances. If the government is the, is the prosecutor or plaintiff in the matter and you're the defendant, this is a sentencing hearing. Mel, well, that brings up, up the enough. other, you know, that brings up what we've talked about in, in you know, a little bit of, uh, yeah, I understand that. And in fact, I've been collecting some information on that. And actually, it's not that big a deal. It's just something I haven't done before, but I will do anytime. I, the only question is, can you do a counterclaim at a municipal court, for example? Well, I don't know. I, I would think you might have to go to... Uh, I think you may have to go... Uh, the yeah, next yeah. step up, well, the county I think court so. or the whatever they I call think so, it too. where you live. Yeah, yeah. Because really, a municipality is just a, a, a corporation created by the state. You know, it's not really a. You know, it's not a. It's not. I don't know how to put this, but it's not a legitimate entity. It's more of an administrative hearing, really. A yeah, no. I, oh, that's what we're dealing with is administrative law, because all three fundamental powers of government are operating under the same same roof. You've got the executive branch in the form of the cops and the judicial branch in the form of the judge and the legislative branch in the form of city council. And they're all working for the same boss. They are all working hand in glove, and it is administrative law. There is no separation of powers there, which is, gives you your leverage. You can say, I am entitled as one of the people of the state of Texas to separation of powers. Take me to an Article Five court. Right? Now, Municipal courts are what we deal with mostly, and therefore, they're the focus 
well, they should be the focus on how to do a counterclaim in a municipal court and level, I think and they, I don't know how. I think that's why you, you would do your counterclaim at the county court or whatever they call it. Yeah. Uh, here they yeah, call yeah. it the district court, but uh, it's the same thing. Uh, they used to call it the county court. But uh, because I do know that when you're in a municipal court, if you know they go, well, okay, guilty, whatever, you owe us this, and you don't like it, appeal to yeah. the district a court. A real court, which is the a real court. court. Right. The next Okay. The now what real court. And what is the great trick in that? You're the one that gives the county court jurisdiction to hear the case. Right. You're the one who makes the appeal. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't think they have any jurisdiction down at the co- down at the municipal court level. Right. They say, well, we're going to find you guilty at the municipal court, and if you don't like it, you can take it to a real court <laughs> and make an appeal. But guess what? By making the appeal, you give the real court jurisdiction. Well, as If a, you didn't appeal, there wouldn't be any jurisdiction in a real court. Right, and you're giving them the jurisdiction as you as the defendant. Yeah, you know, now, I know here in Oregon, when you, when you go to what's called a, uh, a justice of the peace, when you appeal, and Justice of the Peace is like a municipal court they set up in like a, uh, what well, we have districts here. Like we have an unincorporated city called White City. Yep. They don't have a mayor, or at least they didn't. I think they might have voted to have one or something, but they didn't used to. And it's an unincorporated area, and they create districts for water and all these things because mm-hmm. the county can't provide city services. So they do these districts and go around it. And their justice thing, instead of a municipal court, is a justice of the peace. But when I know, because I've been to this, uh, that if you appeal, you, you know, he says guilty and you don't like it, so you say, okay, that's it, I'm appealing. You know, when you appeal from the district court to the circuit court, your appeal has to be based on you can't you can't bring any new evidence. It has to be on any mistakes yep. that were made yep. during the thing, and that's it. Right? Well, when you appeal from the justice of the peace court, the kind of a municipal court, you when you appeal, they call it an appeal, but really, you take it up to the court and you start all over. Yeah. You don't sure. go yeah trial the noble. Yes, a trial de noble. Why? It's the first real trial you right, had, right? The rest of it was just little practice. Uh, you know, it's like it's a dress rehearsal, right? And right. if you consent to the result, fine, just pay your fine, get out of here. And if you don't, then we have to have a trial de noble. And who gives them jurisdiction for the first real trial? You, you do. <laughs> but if that's what's brilliant about this from the government's perspective. Normally, the plaintiff has to establish jurisdiction. In this case, the defendant concedes jurisdiction by making his appeal. Sure. Why don't we take some commercials, Frank? All right. Let's take our break. We'll be back in a moment for the American Independence Hour. We'll be back shortly. Please stay tuned.
provide internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be dependent on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free to air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LMB, and a 75 centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541 541- Two two five four six five nine. That's five four one two two five four six five nine. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Any of the United States, kings have sought it. Nations have fought for it. It has been borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. Restore the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Hi, folks. Alfred Adams, Frank Stefan, American Independence Hour. Let's see if we can get back to where we started, or at least we tried to get started on the definition of individual as found in five, Title V, the United States Code, Section 552A. And we've belabored the point that individual means citizen of the United States. And we have raised this probability or at least possibility that if you're a citizen of the United States, you are subject to the unlimited jurisdiction of the Congress of the United States. It may be presumed as a citizen of the United States that you are within a territory rather than a state of the Union. And you apparently have a choice on this. Fourteenth Amendment sits back and says all persons born in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. Two separate citizenships. So which one are you? Okay? You've got to understand that there are two separate citizenships, one in a state and the other one in in the United States. And you've got to take it even a little further and understand there's a difference between states of the Union, that is to say states of the United States of America, those are the ones you, you want. That's where you want to be, in my opinion. And there's also states of the United States. Two different, two different kinds of states plus the United States. As near as I can see, there's three possibilities here. If you can establish that you are with, you're one of the people within a state of the union, you might not be subject to a bunch of 
federal jurisdiction. They still have limited jurisdiction within the states of the Union, but they don't have unlimited within the states of the Union, while they do have unlimited within the states of the United States. As difficult as that is to hear and understand, it's hard to get to a point where you can say those words and understand, at least think you're making a certain amount of sense. That mean everybody understands, but at least I think I'm making a certain amount now, of sense. I have a I have a question about, and I you know I don't know, and I don't know if you know, but it's something I think about when say, well, you know, you do this, and I agree that you know then a lot of this jurisdiction and these rules and stuff they just don't apply to you because you're not well, you're not one of the individuals that yeah. it applies to. Yeah. Now. Let's take a step further to the state statutes. Yep. If the state is operating as a territorial uh, subdivision of the United States and yep. not of the State of the Union, do those statutes apply to the individual? You know, yeah. also. Yeah, I'd I mean, say you know. I would make that argument. I'd be willing to make that argument. And someone is going to have, in a position of authority, is going to have to say, you're an idiot, Al, or they're going to say, uh, I think he's got the right idea here. I mean, they're going to have to respond to that if you can make that argument, and you can do it in a way where you say, look, I'm not crazy. Here's what it says. It's reasonable for me to infer that I was such and such, and this is, this is a territorial state of the United States rather than a state of the Union of the United States of America. Well, and I, I'm not saying, and I'm not making, and I'm careful when I do this. I'm not saying either one is true. Right. I'm just saying I don't know. Right. And, I, and I've got this que these questions because, I mean, yeah. you know, there's a certain amount of evidence that, that makes me ask these questions because, okay, so the state says, okay, you want state of Oregon driver license. Okay, great. Well, on its face, that looks like, oh, state of Oregon driver license. Mm -hmm. But it tells me I have to be resident. But no, wait a minute. The state of Oregon, the proper name of the state is probably, I don't know what it is for Oregon, but it's probably the state of Oregon, not state of Oregon. These are as different, these are sure. these are two different entities. They say state of Oregon, state of Texas. I don't care. That's nothing to me. That's a territorial state, in my opinion. Sure. I know that the proper name for Texas is the state of Texas. It's in the act of March 30th, year of our Lord, 1870, that readmitted Texas back into representation in Congress after the Civil War. And they said they can, you can come back into Congress as a state of the Union, and they have the name, the state of Texas, in quotes. That's the proper name for the state of the Union, as near as I'm able to understand it. I have evidence to, to point to, to make that case. Well, even, if, make that argument. even if the state of Oregon is, uh, you know, several different names, uh, you know, the thing is, which one do you mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, because you're telling me, okay, you're a state of Oregon or the state of Oregon, and you're going to give me this driver license. But you're telling me I have to be a resident. Yep. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, I, that's pointing me to believe that you are now acting as a territorial subdivision of the United States rather than a state mm -hmm. of the Union. Mm -hmm. You know, and... It doesn't hurt. And what else tells you? Are you? <laughs> what else tells you that? Court's going to try to impose a fine denominated in Federal Reserve notes rather sure. than in gold and silver. Article One, Section Ten, Clause One says no state shall make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of sure. debt. They're not dealing in gold and silver coin anymore. 
that means they are either acting unconstitutionally or they are presumed to be some kind of state that is not subject. They call themselves a state, but they're actually a territory. They're not states of the Union. Article 1, Section 10 says no state. They mean no state of the Union. It's the only kind of states they had at the time. Right. So if they're not acting in gold, if they're not acting in gold and silver, they are either unconstitutional or they're not a state of the union. <laughs> if they're unconstitutional, you can, which one? You know, heads I win, tails you lose. Right. Which is it? Are you acting unconstitutionally or are you acting in some sort of a territory? Right, because the, what, what are they? Was it the court ruled that any act uh, un- unconstitutional act is void from its beginning, from its inception? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, yeah. so if you are unconstitutional, sorry. Yeah. I'm out of here. And if nice you're territory, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> if you're territory, I'm not in the territory. I'm in the. So this is a, you know, this is one of those, this is a gotcha. Right. You know, another rabbit trail. We saw, I learned something back years ago. Um, there was a story, I may have told this, I may have told this story in the past on the program. But this goes back in the 1990s. There was a, there was a black guy running through a rich neighborhood in Houston. The cop was parked there, and he sees this black guy running through the rich neighborhood in Houston. He says, <laughs> and he says hey, hey, wh- hey, and uh, I need to talk to you. And the, and the guy running, he says, run along. You can talk to me while, uh, while we're running. And the cop tried to keep up with him, but he couldn't. And the next thing you know, the cop goes back, calls in for help, and they've got half a dozen cop cars that have surrounded this black guy running through the rich white neighborhood in Houston. Right? They take off his shirt, they check him for gang tattoos and rest that sort of thing, and haul him down there. He's not being very cooperative. <laughs> they haul him down and they throw him in the slammer, and he spends the night in the slammer. And come morning, they find out that he's a federal immigration court judge. Right? And he's running through the wealthy white neighborhood because he's jogging in the neighborhood where he lives. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Now they find out, holy crap, we've, well, before this is done, he sues them for false arrest. They pay him 50 grand for one night to slam him. Right? But I had a copy of his paperwork. He taught me something which I thought was just flat brilliant and what I came to regard as a double-edged strategy. That was the term I used to describe it. I read his paperwork, and he set things up where... He essentially charged them with two mutually exclusive offenses. And he set it up in a way where if you denied, I did not, we did not kidnap this guy. Okay, then you got to admit, if you didn't do number one, you did do number two. <laughs> and if you deny number two, by that denial, you, you effectively admit number one. And it was heads I win, tails you lose. And they paid off like a slot machine. And I'm thinking to myself, if I was down there, I would make it my business. <laughs> but every November, I'd go running take up I'd God. go running carrying a television under my arm or something, you understand? <laughs> and let them grab me, throw me in a slammer, pay off 50 grand, and I could use that to buy my wife a new mink copes, yeah. you know, for Christmas. You could work it out because... Maybe October. Get caught in October carrying a, a TV set or some stereo or something under your arm. And uh, you might even get somebody to call the cops and say, hey, there's some black guy running down yeah. the street with a TV under his arm. Um, 
But this but is I a learn, you know, double-edged strategy, and I, can, I can't give you enough of an example of this where, where it's going to make good sense right now, but it really is a brilliant strategy. You try to charge two or more offenses. If you can find the right offenses where if they deny this one, they have to admit the other one. Or if they deny the, they deny the second one, they have to admit the first. And that's what he did with these guys, and they paid off. And it's something, you know, well, and that's what we were just talking about. It's like, look, if you're a territory, sorry, that's exactly right. You know, that's if exactly you're a state right. of the union, you're operating unconstitutionally, which, yep. again, sorry. You yep. know. So which are you? Yeah. Right. Well, hey, I'm not telling you what you are. I don't know what you are. I'm just asking. It's like that old question, when did you stop beating your wife? That's exactly right. <laughs> and then the... Which wife are you talking about? Yeah. Are you are you either feeding your wife or are you a polygamist? I'm not sure. Any case, here's there's one of the things I want to do. You in the first part of the program, you said we were talking about why they need you to be an individual and why they need you to be a citizen of the United States. Well, I believe it creates liabilities. I think the citizens of the United States, I don't think they have a claim on the God-given unalienable rights. They might be able to make that claim, but it's going to be a sophisticated, you're going to have to a fairly, you're going to have to establish that you are one of those people of the states of the union. Yep. I think as a citizen of the United States, I don't think you've got standing to claim the God-given unalienable rights. Now, I think you only have that standing as a state of the union, uh, one of the people of the state of the union. Wait. Now, here's, let me just go on with the one other point here. I'm reading from... So the text at Title V, United States Code, 552, and A, the definitions. You get down here in a series of definitions, and they are talking about, I'm just going to pull out Section IV, matches of tax information, I, pursuant to Section 6103D of the Internal Revenue Code. And here's II, for purposes of tax administration, and III, for purposes of intercepting tax refund, do uh, uh, an individual, all right, for, and IV again, for the purpose of intercepting tax refund to an individual under any other tax refund intercept program. Where I'm going with this, I will make you bet, I don't see, I will make you a bet that an individual is not only a citizen of the United States. It is subject to the jurisdiction of Congress, unlimited jurisdiction of Congress, rather than the jurisdiction of the States of the Union. I will make you a bet that you've got to be an individual citizen of the United States to be a taxpayer. Yep. And that is, and if I'm correct about that, that's the reason why they'll come on down. You can all be tax. Are you the individual? You say, yeah, I'm the individual. Well, guess what? We're going to throw you in jail for tax evasion. Why? Because you're an individual. You're a citizen of the United States. They tell you there's – we read, you know, that there are two – we read a couple court cases earlier in the program. There's two different classes, at least two, of citizenship, citizen of the states, citizen of the federal government. If you're down in the states, I don't think – I don't think you're subject, if particularly the states of the union. I don't think you even have to pay income tax. Well, I know. I don't the, think you're subject to doing. I know the IRS doesn't. You know, I know this personally that when they send a oh, welcome taxpayer letter, yeah, uh, yeah right. you know, and you write them back and ask, them, yeah, and you ask them, well, 
what evidence do you have in your possession or available to you that leads you to presume that I am a taxpayer? Yep. They tell you, uh, that's frivolous. Goodbye. And that's, that's the end of it. The question. Yeah. You know, well, yeah. Our argument. <laughs> if you tell them there is no law, they say that's a frivolous argument. I don't make arguments. I only ask questions, and my understanding is that I have the absolute right to do so after they send me a notice. Sure. They have a correlative duty to answer those questions. If they don't, I've been deprived deprived of procedural due process. Yep. This is before there's really a court case. This is when you just face fencing administratively. You have the right to ask questions, and if you have that right, they have the duty it's, to answer it's those questions. It's legitimate to ask they, somebody they who you don't know why are you talking to me? Yeah. Who are you? Why are you talking to me? That's a legitimate question. I mean, anybody I, walking down the street would ask somebody who a stranger comes up and says, "Hey, Mr. Uh, whatever this uh, the taxpayer, uh, you know, how'd you like to give me some money? Who are you? Yeah. Why are you talking to me? I mean, that's yeah. a legitimate question. Why do you think I have any money anyway? They're all anything we ever on. What makes you think I'm a taxpayer? Who are you? <laughs> you know, I mean, you know. So these are legitimate questions, and and if it happened to you on the street. Everybody would say, well, yeah, obviously that's a legitimate thing to ask these questions. Well, if somebody sends you a letter, same thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's this, well, so, and you can defeat just, I think you can stop these guys. I've done it a number of times, twice with the IRS, once with the the uh, Dallas Bar, uh, well, the Dallas Bar. Uh, the attorneys, they threatened me with uh, practicing law without a license. I just responded with questions, responded to the IRS twice with questions. They just stopped. Yep. All right? Um, this is, these are only leaves in the breeze. These are anecdotes. They don't prove the strategy works, but they're indications that it does work sometimes at least, and it might work a lot, maybe mostly, maybe all the time even, although I don't think anything works all the time in the legal system. But, so let's take our last break, and then we're going to come back and talk about the term record. Okay. Now for Addis here with Frank Stephan on the American Independence Hour. Please stay tuned. We'll be back for our last segment in just a moment. soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit discount gold and silver trading at dgscoins.com. That's dgscoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Joe Bannister, 
The master had to deal with people like Frank and myself over a period of years. They said these people are crazy. Worked for the IRS. Helped put people in jail. Then he started actually saying, reading the relevant law. He said, wait a second. Not so crazy after all. He thought he was one of the good guys when he was throwing people like me and Frank in the slammer. Then he started to read what we're talking about. He says, I think they got a point. These people I don't can read. <laughs> so, after that, that happen? these people can read. Yeah, I know. I know. How, and everybody takes it for granted that everyone knows what's going on here, and nobody does. Nobody does. These words are such a maze, they are almost mystical. Well, everybody deals with the IRS. There's a lot of people deal with the IRS. And the IRS is admitted. They don't even know the IRS code. They don't even understand the IRS code. They don't even yeah. know what it means. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, and we all accept that. How can you force a law, enforce a law you don't understand? Right, and we all accept that because, okay, everybody knows, ah, the IRS code is big and convoluted and all this. Well, the rest of the U.S. code is just as convoluted. And why is it convoluted? Because they want it that way. That's right. They don't want it to be comprehensible. You know, they want rule by man rather than rule by law. And that's the whole thing. Everybody accepts, well, okay, the IRS doesn't even understand the U- uh, IRS code because it's so, it's so messed up. Well, the whole U.S. code is the same way. Yeah. So none, none of them understand any of it. They haven't admitted that yet, like the IRS has had to admit. Well, we don't know either. But they don't know either. None of them know. I don't think any of them know, including Congress, who doesn't, who has they admitted don't. that they don't read the laws yeah, they that they care. vote for <laughs> against. The essence of the law, according to the Supreme Court, whenever there is a problem, and I say the law means one thing, and Frank says it means something else, the way the courts solve it is they go back into the Congress. The Supreme Court solves these these con- these contradictions that turn up from time to time, or apparent contradictions, and they go back and they look into the congressional record of how the law was passed, and what do people say, and they try to deduce congressional intent, because the intent is the law. Even if they wrote the wrong words down, what was their intent? They meant such and such. They might have said something different than that, but they meant A, B, C, D, E. Yep. Even though they said, you know... G-H-I-J-K or whatever, they meant A-B-C-D-E. And if the court can figure the, find the intent, and my point is, the, in, the court has said that the intent is the essence of the law. How can there be intent when nobody reads the laws that they're passing in Congress? Right. There is no intent. They're just brokering. The intent is to get money from political campaign con- contributors. That's the intent. Other than that, nobody reads the law. Nobody cares what it says. Yeah. What's the essence of the law? The whole thing is insane. But you wanted to talk about something with, with Colonel House. Yeah, because I found it really interesting. And then you just, uh, in the last segment, mentioned that, you know, United States citizens have a liability. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is, people might say, oh, no, 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 we have rights and this and that. But, you know, you're probably closer to the truth than, than, than having rights, because this is a quote from Colonel Edward Mandel House. And he was... President Wilson's advisor from like 1913 and 1920, very influential. You know, we they say, uh, you know, Carl Rove and Dick Cheney ran the White House. Well, this guy was them for President Wilson. Yep. You know, and a lot of things went on between 1913 and 1921. 
a lot like, of big like, like setting up the uh, the uh, Federal Reserve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like one of the biggest things that yeah. President Wilson later said he ruined the country by doing. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, but he never explained how. So far as I know, no, not he recognized he'd made a big mistake, but he didn't say what that mistake was. And it would be really helpful if he would have said. Yeah. Well, House here says this quote from him. The world is governed by very different personages from what is imagined by those who are not behind the scenes. Benjamin Disraeli. Now, that was a quote from him. He was the first prime minister of England in 1844. Now, here's what Mandel says. Very soon, um, every American will be required to register their biological property in a national system designed to keep track of the people and that will operate under the national system, will operate the the ancient system of pledging. Now, you've mentioned this, pledging. But how do we know a pledge? One signature. Two signatures, you got a contract. You got a meeting of the minds. If there's only one signature, you have a pledge, not a contract. And this is an ancient system of pledging that is not new. By such methodology, we can compel people to submit to our agenda, which will affect our security as a chargeback for our fiat paper currency. Every American will be forced to register or suffer being able to work and earn a living. They will be our chattels, and we will hold the security interest over them forever by operation of the law merchant under the scheme of secured transactions. Americans, by unknowingly or unwittingly delivering the bills of lading, to us will be rendered bankrupt and insolvent, secured by their pledges. They will be stripped of their rights and given a commercial value designed to make us a profit, and they will be none the wiser, for not one in a million could ever figure our plan, and if by accident one or two should figure it out, we have in our arsenal plausible deniability. Yep. After all, this is the only logical way to fund government, by floating liens and debts to the registrants, the form of benefits and privileges. This will inevitably reap us huge profits beyond our wildest expectations and leave every American a contributor to this fraud which we will call social insurance. Without realizing it, every American will unknowingly be our servants, however begrudgingly. The people will become helpless and without any hope for their redemption, and we will employ the high office of our dummy corporation, FEMA, foment this plan against America have it well it's and when is that quote when did that quote allegedly when was that between the years of 1913 and 21 i understand specific so we're talking a century ago yeah 
All right? We're talking basically a century ago. They just saying, here's what we're going to do. And that system has been evolving. And, and we've been sitting here, and they've been just raising the temperature, and the frogs, we'd be the frogs, and we'd be, we'd be cooking. All right? But it does explain a few things, and it says you're going to take that social, they call it social insurance. We're talking about social security. And it goes to that it. number. It goes to being an individual. It goes to be a citizen of the United States. It goes to the original Constitution is a trust instrument. It's not a contract. People talk about contracts. No, it's not. It's a trust. And the government is supposed to be the trustees who administer the government employees and officers. They are supposed to be the, the trustees who administer that Constitution, that trust for the benefit of the people. But as House points out in his in the quote that Franks has provided, he says, we're going to turn them all into, they will be our fiduciaries. They'll be our sureties. They're going to be the trustees. They will have the duty of working to support the government. Instead of the government working to help us, we are obligated, we are presumed to be fiduciaries working for the benefit of the government. The government no longer serves and protects the people. The people serve and protect the government. And this is part of the reversal. And it's not a small thing. This is powerful, powerful stuff. More evidence of spiritual warfare. Uh, well, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, reading it, it seems like an evil plan. And, yeah, it is. And at the core of it, though, the foundation of it is the fiat money. Mm -hmm. They couldn't pull this off without fiat currency. I understand. So it's the heart of darkness. It's the one thing I've seen over the years publishing the anti-shyster news magazine back in the 90s. You could do virtually 